0: tech is, you know, the defining force of history. And his specific line is that um, technology is upstream of culture and upstream of politics. And I was always like, well, what does that really mean? And all he really means by that point is that tech influences culture and media and that influences politics. And then that in- influences the rest of society. But tech is sort of at the, at the top of the stream.
1: Perfect. Thank thank you so much for being willing to come on. Oh, that's nice, Mm -hmm. man. Yeah, so we're drinking Brothers Bond. Have you heard of Vampire Diaries? Oh,
0: the show. The show. Yeah, I felt like it like rode the wave after Twilight or something like that.
1: Exactly. So the two main characters actually developed this whiskey based on that show.
0: Oh, fantastic. Yeah.
1: So it just released, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, right on. Yeah. So thank you so much for being willing to come on. I find learning about people's passions so fascinating personally. I find it really rewarding to hear how somebody developed an interest or craft because I think it inspires other people to do the same. And so can you tell people a little bit about yourself um, and the work you do?
0: Well, first, thanks for having me on. And I, I love this format because I'm used to doing radio hits and you know going on the news and i've always got to talk in sound bites and Mm -hmm. key messages and talking points so i love this format because i feel like i can kind of relax and just just talk about stuff absolutely so a lot of people know me as you know the tech guy someone who writes about technology in vancouver but i like to think of myself a bit more perhaps multifaceted and the way i would say you know what i do and who i am is i'd say for about 15 to 20 years i've been bringing people together and connecting communities and organizations to things that they care about. And when I look at the last like 20 years, I'd say if I look at my toolkit, the number one tool for that is, you know, writing storytelling or, or, you know, a pen and the keyboard. And that's how I've sort of done that. And the way that that manifests itself today is in my role at the Vancouver Tech Journal. So, you know, day to day, uh, I write and I help publish the Vancouver Tech Journal with a really incredible team of talented, you know, journalists, people in media, people in design.
1: What do you see in that sort of space that stood out to you as something that was worthwhile to kind of pursue? Because uh, there's so many different avenues people seem to choose for journalism. And it seems like you have a real passion, not just for the journalistic endeavor, but for sharing important news about kind of how our society is developing in terms of the technology we use, how we're connecting, and how we're sort of innovating our way out of problems.
0: For sure. So there's there's so many ways to tackle this question, and um, I I think you'll be fine if I I go in depth on stuff. (laughs) Absolutely,
1: please feel free.
0: Um, So you know why technology? There's a few reasons. I used to work for the BC government at an organization called Innovate BC, and uh, I had a a CEO there named Shirley Vickers, and she'd always say tech is everywhere, right? And, And all she really meant was that tech is sort of you know found its way into every part of society and life, right? So whether you run a retail store and you've got your system for, you know, doing commerce and transactions or you work on a hospital and, you know, you're being, you know, scanned by a radiology machine, right? Tech is everywhere. It's in, you know, in agriculture, it's in space, it's everywhere. Um, And that's how I thought about tech for a long, long time. It was just an interesting thing that was, you know, impacting life. And then there's a few different ways that I've heard about tech talked about recently that really resonated with me. And there's, uh, an investor, and I hope you don't mind. I'm gonna always, I always mention names of people when yeah. I'm talking about ideas that like I didn't come up with because yeah. I want to give credit. Um, there's an investor named uh, Balaji Srinivasan. He's well known in like the t- global tech space if you're really into that space. And he always says that tech is, you know, the defining force of history. And his specific line is that um, technology is upstream of culture and upstream of politics. And I was, always like, well, what does that really mean? And all he really means by that point is that. Tech influences culture and media, and that influences politics, and then that in- influences the rest of society. But tech is sort of at the at the top of the stream. And so that's another reason why I think tech is an incredibly important topic to sort of dig into and discuss. Um, another thing I want to comment on tech is that, again, people always see me as like the tech writer guy. And I love technology, but equally as much as technology, I just love the people behind technology. That's what I find really, really fascinating. And a really good example of that I always bring up is if you look at someone like well-known people like Steve Jobs, you know, Apple, the iPhone, and sure, Steve Jobs helped create, you know, one of the most important consumer products in history in the iPhone. The other question surrounding Apple and iPhones and stuff is that like Steve Jobs is the son of a, a Syrian immigrant, right? And so why did this person think he had any business revolutionizing the computing industry, you know, which is what he did. So Uh, just as important as the technology and the products and the hardware and all that really interesting stuff, the people and the stories... Um, you know, behind them. I think those are just as exciting. And I think that's, you know, why me and my team really get excited about what we do every day.
1: I couldn't agree more. I think we often underestimate the work that goes into developing an idea. Like you may not agree philosophically with Elon Musk, but you have to be a very uncommon person to do what he's done, to do what Steve Jobs has done. And we sort of, like, I see a lot of hit pieces on people like Steve Jobs of like, oh, well, he wasn't a nice guy. And it's like, you have to be upset with something in order to bring something like Apple to life, it can't be, oh, I've got a balanced lifestyle. I'm doing a little bit of this. I'm going for walks. I'm just enjoying my day. You have to be a very uncommon person to revolutionize something like the phone. And now it's all commonplace. We expect our iPhone to work. Uh, we're always waiting for the new one. But it took someone really thinking outside the box. I think their slogan was like, think different. It takes yep. all of that to come together. And that that working mentality often it comes from unfortunately other countries of people who really know what it's like to struggle to not have resources and to say, Hey, this is, and that's why I think that American dream is so well known to people is because that's the space where you go and you let your ideas speak for themselves. And that's what you're more judged on. Hopefully um, in terms of like what you bring to market.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with you. Right. And so, yeah, look at Steve jobs again. Um, Syrian immigrant Steve Jobs was then put up for adoption, Adoption, then he was adopted. Similar to Jeff Bezos, I don't know if a lot of people know, right? Like his mother um, married a guy named Mike Bezos, or but his name is actually Miguel Bezos, a Cuban, immig- uh, Cuban immigrant, <sighs> right? Um, if you look at many of the CEOs of the most valuable technology companies in the world, uh, Microsoft, for example, Um, You've got Satya Nadella, you know, Indian immigrant. You've got uh, Sundar Pichai, CEO of Alphabet, uh, you know, Google, a.k.a. Google, you know, another Indian immigrant. Um, Actually, I think a significant portion of, you know, the most viable tech companies in the world, they're based in the United States, but the majority of their CEOs are actually immigrants. And there is something just about kind of like what you said, like the work rate of people who've moved to a new country and, and the willingness also to, like, take risks and that being part of their, their mentality and, you know, their psyche.
1: Yeah. What do you see in that? Is that the inspirational story you enjoy writing about? And how did you kind of get started um, in writing on these topics?
0: I, I Again, I'm just fascinated by people, mm-hmm. generally. I'm v- just a very curious person. And I think that, I don't know, I think I read something maybe 15 years ago which essentially said everyone else around you is an important person because they know stuff that you don't know. And so you can learn from from, from everyone. It doesn't matter where they are, walks of life, how much experience they have. And so I'm just generally really fascinated by people. And the reason why I guess I started running the technology, I, it takes me back to Ottawa. So I've lived in uh, Vancouver, BC since 2015, but I grew up outside of Ottawa in a little town called Winchester. But when I was in Ottawa and I was... You know, midway through my university years, um, I was just going to different networking events and, and, and meetups. They were called tweetups. This is back when Twitter was very new. And you'd meet someone on Twitter because you had similar interests. And then you'd, you'd meet them at a pub. And you know, that's sort of how communities were built, at least tweetups. Um, but a lot of the people I kept bumping into just were entrepreneurs. They were entrepreneurs. And they, they were focused on different tech startups and whatnot. And sort of by chance, those were the people that I ended up spending a lot of time with. And I just got, I think, deeper and deeper into that space. And I want to kind of tie it back to the fact that a lot of these people are are building the tools that we're using in our lives, whether it's to to connect like this, right, or to, to connect with loved ones or to do our work or to explore other interests,
1: yeah. So the interesting thing about technology is that it immediately can scale in a way that so many things, if you've got like a nice shirt, it's going to be tough to get that to a global market that's going to be interested. But with a new app, a new design, it can reach people really quickly and have a really quick impact. So you almost need people like yourself who are well-versed in the area to see that change because things like, um and I'll be interested to get your thoughts on like Substack, kind of are changing Journalism, a lot of complaints. Journalism isn't the way we want it to be. Journalism isn't the way we want it to be. We hear that for 10 years. Then you have like an app like Substack that kind of changes the dynamics between people um, and allows people to kind of connect and have their own voice shared rather than going through a lot of different editing processes or being forced to focus on a topic they don't care about.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that you bring up a tool like Substack. I find it so fascinating, right? It allows anyone to build up a newsletter and an audience. And then, uh, very specifically, it enables them to monetize that audience through, uh, different tools, right? To, to add paywalls and, you know, make, create membership programs and whatnot. And that, that's really fascinating because whenever I, again, this is like 10 years ago. I'm not, I'm not that old, but I feel like this was really long time ago. Uh, there's, there's a book. It's called The Long Tail, and it's by a guy named Chris Anderson, I believe. And he used to be the editor of Wired Magazine. And in this book, again, it's like over a decade ago, he was talking about uh, three things and sort of how, like, creators and content has changed. Uh, I feel like everyone's having these same conversations now, but these were actually a long time ago. And the first big change he said in terms of, like, commerce and creators and media was the um, democratization of production. And so what he meant by that was that, like, originally there was, like, a few different news stations – and they were the ones who could share the news and, and create, and there was, and, and that was it, right? And then eventually, like, different tools were built so that anyone could kind of, like, share the news or create or take photos or take video. But even if you could do that, uh, you still have the issue of distribution, right? Like, you could make a video, but then who was going to see it, right? And then we get, like, social media tools, which allowed people to connect um, easier and better based off of their interests, right? So that was sort of a democratization of distribution, and then what happens when you get both of those things, anyone can create and anyone can share is that you get this proliferation of people sharing their stories and connecting based on their interests. So once you have that, then it's like, well, how do I find the things that interest me? And how do I like find those people that I can connect with? And then obviously there've been more tools, whether it's like Google, obviously, right? Or, mm-hmm. uh, or, or Twitter and different algorithms that bring people together around topics that they really care about. And so I think we've actually seen this Sort of that cycle of more people creating, more people sharing, more people connecting around interests happen a few different times. Um, so, and we've seen that with again social media. We've seen that with newsletters. Newsletters went away. Now they're back. Podcasting. It's funny. We're on a podcast now. I remember like fifteen years ago when podcasting was a thing, but it was almost I don't know, it was ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. But now it's sort of seeing a resurgence. So we're seeing that happen again. Um, and I, I find all these different things really fascinating. The Vancouver Tech Journal today is built on Substack. And it wasn't like a very like business decision for it to be on uh, Substack. Mm. It was me writing for fun when I initially created the bank Channel. I'm sure we'll get into that sometime. And Substack's big value proposition was that, yeah, you could have your free newsletter and then essentially with the click of a button, you could start to monetize that newsletter. And as uh, an individual writer back then, I thought, oh, well, that would be really interesting. I'm just going to use this this this, um, this platform, right? In Substack, I think it's just short for subscription stack or something like that, right? Sort of like your tech stack. You get your newsletter, you can create, you can edit, you can flip a switch, and then you can start charging people and add commerce to the mix.
1: Yeah, I find Substack really interesting because it's doing something different specifically with its algorithms. I don't know if you heard the interview uh, with Chris Best, I think is the CEO with Joe Rogan, where they were talking about the development of how they're trying to do recommendations instead of having the traditional Google, YouTube, where they kind of guide you and their algorithms tell you what you want to see, rather than the writer in this case telling you what you recommend did you see that does that interest you and like have you become more interested in substack over time
0: yeah i'm i mean again i'm a big substack fan just because i think it's just really empowering for writers um i did see that interview with joe rogan um and it's, it's funny like i'm a big fan of substack but as a substack user and actually customer I'm also the biggest critic of Substack because I always want them building new things and new tools that we want. I want them to work better, right? So I'm actually like pretty frequently tweeting at Chris and his other co-founder, Hamish, um, telling them specific feedback I want about like how I think they can improve the platform for writers and creators and make it um, um, more effective. To your question about the recommendations, I think that's really neat, actually, right? So uh, since I'm sort of the admin on the Vancouver Tech Journal Substack, I get emails with it saying so-and-so has added, you know, the Vancouver Tech Journal to their recommendations list, right? And so um obviously we've got our subscribers and our posts get likes, but whenever other people are willing to put us up as a publication that they read and they recommend to their followers, I find that, um well, awesome, I guess. Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely. And I think it's a new way of going about it because then you're trusting the person. And I think that that is a shift that we're going through where You can't just have anyone telling you your news anymore because there's this sort of sense of distrust or um, miscommunication between the audience that I think there's a huge benefit of knowing who the author is, having a relationship of knowing their writing style and understanding them as a person a little bit more. I think there's dangers to it, which um, I talked to Farhan about, which is like now you have audience capture. Mm-hmm. Now your audience expects you to say something about an issue or have a position and be consistent. And the idea that you're going to go, you know, I really thought this for a long time and now I actually think this. It's like you can lose that audience or anger them and, and create a disconnect. So I think there's risks, but I like how Substack is really encouraging the writer to be the, the source of information, but also they have a responsibility to their audience. Mm-hmm. And Substack doesn't really take that responsibility on, which I think is really unique to them.
0: Yeah. And it's, it differs significantly from other platforms like YouTube. I'm sure you've had conversations with people. Actually, you might have talked to Farhan about this or maybe Grace on in the Overstory family, where if you watch like two videos on YouTube, all of a sudden YouTube thinks that you're only interested in this one topic and all your recommendations are this specific topic and it's the algorithm going into overdrive. And that always drives me totally nuts, right? And so you actually don't get that at all with Substack in terms of what you're discovering and what you're 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 looking at and, and interested in.
1: Yeah, I'm curious just on your thoughts on what can be improved, because I've written to Substack as well saying, how am I supposed to get the word out on Instagram? Instagram's a growing platform, so is TikTok. But um, with uh, Spotify, you can take the what well, you can copy to Instagram and have it as a story and have the image of the person um, and the the title, and you can't do that with a Substack article it's not easy i see people kind of take a screenshot and post it doesn't look aesthetically pleasing some of those photos that you you choose for your substack article you can't put on uh instagram in the same way the way you can with a twitter post and stuff so that's been one of my kind of consistent like hey how am i supposed to get the word out on instagram where that's an easy audience to kind of grow and develop
0: yeah that's that's so interesting i'm I'm glad to hear that you've been reaching out to them with with ideas because i i do constantly i think that's a really good point um I don't know actually how we think about that. I'm really fortunate. I, I get, Like I said, the Vancouver Tech Journal is not me. It's a group of people. Hmm. And so there are other people I'm really lucky that get to think about that and I don't have to think about that. Hmm. Um, but it is something that needs to be improved. I'm a big fan of posting tweets to Instagram stories. Hmm. I don't know why. I think it, I think it gives them new life. Um, so I, I like that as like a, a tactic or a feature that's possible. Hmm. And I do think that a lot of people might like me anyway, like I spend a lot of time on these different platforms. And I actually don't mind people from one world connecting with me in like my other world, my Instagram world. I know a lot of writers and creatives are different like that. Uh, they try and separate make perhaps platforms and stuff. But I like I like mashing them all together. I like to be connected to professional people and personal people on all those platforms.
1: Right. How do you feel about them adding podcasts? Because they've moved in that direction now as well. Do you think that's an improvement? Do you think they could do it Differently, what are your thoughts on the direction they're taking things?
0: Um, are you talking about Twitter?
1: No, or Substack.
0: Substack, Substack. yeah. yeah. Um, so it's funny. I have tested one sort of pop podcast feature out. And so hope your listeners aren't bored about all this like technical stuff. But the interesting thing is I held a conversation on Twitter with a local executive. And then I downloaded the audio uh, off of Twitter Spaces. And then I re-uploaded that audio to our Substack channel and um, I, I liked it. I, I liked the fact that you can embed audio into the stories and that sort of thing. And something that we've actually been experimenting with at the Vancouver Tech Journal is having our writers read their stories. Um, so you can land on a story and then uh, like by James Matthews, one of our writers, and then you actually hear him tell the story uh, in his voice. And it's fantastic.
1: It's a huge step up in audio books when you actually have the author S- tell the story. I know some people choose to hire out like a role for that, but it's so meaningful to hear the person who wrote the story, who wrote the book, actually hear their voice and their feelings behind it kind of um, as part of the the experience. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and I, and I love that. And it, it messes me up though whenever I've listened to an audio version of a book, and then I listen to the next one from the same author, and they've used two different Uh, Voices. So that always messes me up.
1: Absolutely. So, can you tell us how you got started with the Vancouver Tech Journal? You've kind of alluded to um, dipping your toe in and kind of getting that experience, but what made you think that this was necessary? Because it's focused, it's Vancouver Tech Journal, not BC Tech Journal, Canada Tech Journal, North America Tech Journal. How did this sort of come about for you?
0: First of all, I'll say it's it's not all those other things yet, but there could be those things in the future. But So how do I go through this really quickly? So No rush. Yeah, you're right. No rush. I don't need to go through it quickly. So like I said, I was in Ottawa. I moved here. And actually, I'll tell a story, which is like, this is, there's a woman named Cheryl Draper who really should take credit for the founding of the Vancouver Tech Journal. She doesn't know this, but um, I'm going to say that on here. Um, I was moving from Ottawa to Vancouver. And there's a woman named Cheryl Draper uh, that I knew in Ottawa. And she had already moved to Vancouver. And she worked for a company called Invoke. And Invoke is known for spinning out uh, Hootsuite, which a lot of people know, among other big local tech companies. And so when I was moving here, I emailed Cheryl and I said, hey, I'm moving to Vancouver on April 30th, 2015. It would be good if you could connect me to your local network, since she knew a lot of people already. And so she connected me to a woman named Lindsay Chan, uh, still very well-known here in the community, and Lindsay worked at an organization called BC Innovation Council. It's a crown agency of the province. And Lindsay said, hey, Will, come in for an interview. And so I went in to get interviewed or or to meet Lindsay. And I got there and she goes, as you can see, I'm pregnant. And um, so she was like a week away from uh, going on mat leave. And so there's another woman there, Karen Spears, another one person that deserves deserves a lot of credit for what I've been able to do here in the province. And so they both interviewed me. And then Lindsay said, all right, I'm going on mat leave now. So you're going to have to just talk to Karen about potential job opportunities. So long story short, Karen eventually hires me as a communications specialist. And this is, again, at BCIC. And I worked really hard. I used to say, oh, I was really lucky and I got promoted. But I worked very, very hard and was promoted a few times. Uh left BCIC in April 2017, so I was there for a couple of years, to go work for another organization called the Downtown Vancouver BIA, great organization, you should have their CEO on. And then I was recruited back to BCIC to be the director of marketing and comms, which is again really exciting, great opportunity. So the ironic thing about all that was that I initially got into communications because I liked writing and storytelling. But... When I was promoted, I was no longer doing those things, really. I had a team of people that was doing those things, and I was, like, putting out fires and signing expense reports and and stuff like that. So I was no longer doing the the stuff that I loved to do, uh, the actual writing of of stories and and newsletters and that sort of stuff. So funny enough, I was at InterVPT a couple more years, and then early 2018, this is while I was still there as a director, I thought, well, you know, I've got a bit more bandwidth, and I, I know all these stories, and I've got... All these relationships with people in the tech and innovation space, you know, what, what could I do to just like exercise my like creative muscles, that sort of thing. And so I thought like, well, maybe I'll just start this newsletter that I think would be cool. It'd be something that I would want to read. Uh, so we'll see if some other people want to read it. So I started the tech journal, uh, yeah, early 2018 or was maybe December 2017. It was right around that time. And I initially sent it off to five people. A couple of them, I said, hey, I'm going to start this newsletter. Do you want to subscribe? And then A few other people, I just added them and close enough that I could just add their emails and say, hey, I'm writing this newsletter. And it really just started out as me sending an email. I would find like six to seven or, you know, seven to ten links that other stories that other people wrote. And I'd say, here's a summary. Here's why this is important. This is why you you need to know this. And that's all it started out as, And I would send that every couple of weeks. And it slowly got uh, a larger audience just organically, just people talking to me like, oh, this is really cool. And I was at a lot of events talking to people. And I'd tell them about it. And I'd say, hey, I'm going to add you to my newsletter. And people would say, sure. And then once they had it, they thought like, oh, like this is valuable. Like I'd like to have this in my life. Uh, it wasn't too like an, an, an intrusive. It was only every couple of weeks. So fast forward to... April 2020, May 2020. So this is, ah, COVID's hit by now. Again, still working for the government, still uh, a director. I have a team of five people. And I still, like, have the itch to be doing more writing and storytelling. And I got an opportunity to do ghost writing for tech executives, uh, which was really, really special. What is that? Um, so essentially, taking the ideas and stories of people... And then writing on their behalf, but it still goes under their name. So I would talk to a local CEO for an hour about his thoughts on like, you know, hiring in a recession or managing culture in a reception, recession. And then I'd write an opinion piece on that. And then me and the team at this consultancy would get it published in Forbes under their name, wow. right? It was their ideas, but they didn't write it. They don't have time to write it. And maybe they're not good writers, but they do have really uh, thoughtful ideas. They just need someone else to put those in into in, in writing. And so I left the government to do that as a consultant, as well as to put more time into the Vancouver Tech Journal, uh, which again, had like a growing audiences still. And the interesting thing was is a lot of people who knew me as the writer of the Tech Journal would approach me and say, hey, like, you're obviously a writer. Um, Can we hire you to do some writing for us on the side? And I'd say, yeah, sure. So I was with the government, left the government, like secure job, pension, et cetera, all of that stuff. And I thought like, no, I'm just gonna like register a small business um, and do writing and consulting. And it was a great decision because a few months into that, um, someone that I had known for a number of years through my freelance writing was Farhan Muhammad. (laughs) And so Farhan messages me one day. It's, It's funny. I probably have like the Instagram message or the text and it's just him saying, Hey, like, what are you working on? I want to talk to you about a business thing. And I thought, okay, that sounds really interesting. Like, sure. Let's jump on a zoom call. And so he just said, "Hey, what are you working on?" And I was telling him, oh, "I'm mean, this consultant, this ghostwriting, writing, writing the tech journal, like still." And he said, "Let's, let me tell you what I'm working on." And this is before Overstory. I don't even think Overstory had a name or a brand then, but mm-hmm. it, it was an entity, but it didn't have a name and a brand yet. And so he told me what they were working on, and he said, "I really think with the right support and resources, you could take what you're doing in the Vancouver Tech Journal and, and really blow it up." Um, and I thought that sounds like a great idea because this is something that again, I was passionate about something that I would do for free. And so again, as a writer and a creative, when someone says, Hey, we love what you're doing. Do you want to make it your job? Like, that's literally I think the definition probably a, you know your dream job right where you're doing something because you're just super passionate about it and then you get to take it and, and turn it into a business yeah
1: what did that mean to you to have someone believe in what you were doing like maybe you have people who come along who go oh you're doing great work oh that's nice and um yeah I don't I don't mind that but it's like it's uh it's a different thing when somebody's like no we're gonna we're gonna financially back you we're gonna push this forward We we see the same vision you have long term and we want to help you get there like That's a different type of confidence, of trust, of support than the everyday person who might just hit that like button.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is, I think for creators or anyone building a business, like that is what you want. You want someone to say more than, oh, that's cool and that's nice. Someone to say, actually, here is a check. We would like to pay you for the value that you're creating. I think that is the the ultimate compliment. Uh, So that was really special. The funny thing is, it's not the first time that Farhan did that. And I'll just tell you a really quick story. Um, again, I was freelance writing this whole time while I was at BCIC because it was just something I really enjoyed. So I'd like write articles for BC Business. Um, like many years ago, I wrote a couple articles for McLean's. Um, and Farhan, before he was CEO of Overstory Media Group, he was the editor-in-chief at Daily Hive. And it's funny, this goes back to the whole Substack thing. So I was on Substack writing the Vancouver Tech Journal for fun. And one day I decided, you know what, like I should test out this like paywall feature or monetization feature just to see if anyone like will come on board with that. And so I sent an email to my list saying, hey, I'm going to test out like having a paywall. You all currently get this email from me on Sundays. I'm going to write an extra email on Monday and Tuesday and Friday. You know, if you would like that, you're going to have to pay. Let me know if you want to trial this like paid level. It's gonna be so much more work for me. But I was like, Let's just try it, because maybe I'll like create a job out of that. And the funny thing was, is the first article I published out of like, the new paywalled version was on large tech companies in Vancouver that everyone should be talking about. A lot of articles are written about Microsoft and Amazon, but there's like Samsung and Motorola and Disney and all these huge companies have offices and office presence here. And a lot of people didn't know, so I wrote an article on that. And funny enough, the first person that responded to that email was Farhan, And he was like, hold on a second, dude, like, you should just let Daily Hive publish your work. We'll pay you to publish it and you'll get like our millions of views. Like we have a huge audience. So he's like, forget about this, like paywall you're going to do. Let us give you the reach and we'll pay you for these stories. And so it was funny that like within a day of me starting this new like monetization strategy, um, I ended up getting money but it was from a different source than i thought right i was like oh i'll see if the readers will give me money but then farhan at daily hive was like no 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 no. we're gonna pay you a daily hive to produce these for a much bigger audience and also that was like another opportunity that seemed like too good to give up
1: yeah can you tell us your thoughts um you watch over you see ceos uh you see the work that they go through the development of an individual trying to lead a company in some sort of direction uh what are your thoughts on farhan
0: Farhan is is fantastic. And so you're right, I talk to a lot of CEOs, uh, sometimes just for articles, but then a lot of the time, just because I'm curious, like their thoughts and ideas about work and the workforce. And the other thing I do a lot is like I read articles about other CEOs, right? And and, and a lot of books. And I've read, I've read every Steve Jobs books, you know what I mean? I've read Elon's biography, like those types of things, right? So I think a lot about uh, CEOs and leadership and, and business it's, and all of those things. Farhan is incredible because he absolutely is the type of person that, like, has a vision. And to most people, it seems like, well, that's a bit unrealistic. Um, But then he will prove to you that it's possible and that he'll surprise you and that he'll get you to do something that you, like, didn't think was realistic. Like, even when the Vancouver Tech Journal was initially coming up with, um, like, ad rates for, like, what we would charge people for partners, like, some of the numbers he was throwing out, I thought were totally nuts. Like, I was like, "Mm," like, I'd probably ask for a little bit less. Um, but that would have been a mistake because like almost like all of our ad inventory is full almost now. So he was right in terms of, um, you know, guessing, not guessing, but uh, assuming like, well, what you're doing is very valuable and there's people who are going to pay for that value. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I would say time and time again, he's someone that like has a vision and it might seem unrealistic to some people around him. Um, but he, he manages to make that vision a reality and. I mean, I think that's sort of common for a lot of these people we talked about. Some of these these CEOs, like everyone said, Steve Jobs had this reality distortion field, right? Um, he'd basically like, yeah, a staff member would say that's not possible, and he'd be like, yeah, it's possible. Like he, you know, very casually, he'd think like, yeah, yeah, we can do that, right? Like a lot of people forget that for the first iPhone, Apple basically forced one of their um, manufacturers to invent a, a type of glass and produce enough of it for the initial iPhone because at first it was going to be plastic. And Steve Jobs was like, no, 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 like that's not good enough quality. Um, and they worked with a partner, and the partner was like, well, we have this new glass, but there's no way we could produce enough of it for these devices. And he was like, yeah, you're definitely you're going to do it. And he just s- somehow you know willed it to reality. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not him, but obviously, what these people have in common is they have like the vision and the persuasion, and you know, they can motivate people. And I, I see I see a lot of that in Farhan. And when I think about, like, CEOs and leadership, again, it's the thing I think about a lot. Um, there is a famous book called High Output Management, and it is by a guy named Andy Grove. And he was famous because he was the – I think he was the third CEO of Intel, big chip maker. Um, and it goes – in that book, it talks about, like, what executives are for. Like, what are they actually supposed to do, right? Uh, and he – I'm paraphrasing, and it's probably not completely correct what he says, but it really comes down to, like, you know, vision and purpose, um, tie-breaking decisions. So, like, if two junior people are, like, well, I think we should do this, and I think we should do this, if they can't decide amongst themselves the the path forward, an executive could be the one to say, like, this is what we're doing. But then the most important thing is actually um, enforcing culture and values. Like, that's where we really need leaders to come in to say, like, on a daily basis, this is the standard This is the quality of work that we're going to do. And, again, that's another area where I think Farhan's always pushing people to say, like, number one thing is is, is quality of work. Like, the quality of the stories that we're telling is what we need to focus on above everything else. And then all the other stuff will take care of itself.
1: Yeah. Which is something that... People can underestimate a lot, which is the idea that the values section or the mission section of a website matters, uh, that it's not just lip service, because a lot of people get cynical and they go, oh, yeah, like integrity and kindness and teamwork. It's like these are just lip service things. But when somebody really brings it to life and says, this is our top priority and everything else, who creates like a hierarchy of priorities and helps other people go, okay, I'm gonna focus on this, dedicate myself to this, it creates that culture that it allows people to know what what is gonna be valued. where sometimes maybe in university you get ranked on something and you get like a b for this and a c and it's like what did the professor want the most out of this paper did they want a clear thesis did they want really well researched paper what did they want out of it did they want a strong conclusion where you make a definitive position on something we often say like what all matters and then that kind of grays the area of what matters the most but what are your thoughts on where they're going to take this? Because to me, I watched um a really interesting documentary on like the news industry uh, with Hassan Minhaj about like how the the news industry is dying and how. Um, companies are, are hedge funds are buying these companies, squeezing them for everything they have, and then kind of just uh, letting them die out. And then I was like, this is a real problem. Like, how are we going to fix this problem? And then my partner showed me an article by the Fraser Valley Current. And I was like, what is this company? It's so long. Like there's so much information. There's actual research in this. Um, and so I looked at it and I was like, oh, this is overstory media. And ever since I've been a huge kind of proponent of them because don't see how anyone else can uh, can compete with what they're trying to do. I think the other news organizations are important and I have the I think it's black press. Apparently they think that I really like dislike them or have like low opinions and it's like, I just think they've figured out a way to do something different that's important. That for me, who actually cares and reads an article and goes, oh no, this is a genuine problem, how are we gonna address this? I want solutions or I want enough information where I can go, okay, I understand the issue now. I don't feel like this was just three sentences of information on what's going on. I really understand what the problem is. So what are your thoughts on where they're taking things? Do you believe in the the mission of kind of? I would argue saving journalism? I don't know if they say that often, but I feel like that's the route they're taking
0: I mean again, it sounds like well, you can't say that you're saving journalism. That sounds crazy, but again, it's one of those things where I mean I'm surprised every day like at work um i what I will say is any community that we've gotten involved in and talked to, they just say that they're just they're dying for what we're doing, right story as a whole um and then also even just when you focus on the tech journals and telling stories about like really local entrepreneurs that you know haven't raised a hundred million dollars but like got their first customer like've I've spoken at various tech conferences in Canada and like Saskatoon and other places and they think I tell them about the Vancouver Tech journal and I say oh my goodness like There's no one here doing that, which I find really wild. It's like, why doesn't somebody just do this? You know what I mean? And Overstory is investing and growing with the mission to do what we're doing here in BC across the country. So in terms of like my outlook on Overstory, I just I can't believe that no one else is already doing what we're doing because it's so desperately needed. And I hear that again and again um, from people I talk to, like I'm going to Kelowna next month and someone is literally organizing like a lunch for me so I can talk to local tech and innovation stakeholders because they're like, there's no one here telling these like local stories. And I I just think like, well, why hasn't someone else already done this? And so when I think about Overstory and what we're doing, um, it is, I find it just like, very encouraging that anyone we talk to you about what we're doing, people are very, very excited about it.
1: Yeah, it also seems like you're more literate on the topic. Uh, if you were to send me in with, uh, and that's why I wanted to sit down with you, is because there's a lot about the space I don't know. I didn't know Disney had a location here in BC. Makes sense, but it's not something that's well known. And so you have a knowledge and expertise where... I think that's really important when, when I'm having a guest on is to understand their background or have a, have a comprehension. So I know where I'd take the conversation. And if you're just having a regular reporter do everything, um, in your community, you're not going to have that expertise. They're going to be like the who, what, where, when and why, but maybe not the the deeper understanding of where you add in the development stage of your business, where, where are you taking off? Who are your customer base? Like that kind of entrepreneurial business lens of how do you fit in with this, this tech and innovative side, you are able to bring that focus and know how they fit in with other businesses. Maybe somebody is doing something similar over here. You're going to have that inside knowledge where general people aren't going to have that kind of wealth of experience. So what has that sort of been like to bring that to entrepreneurs and and be able to share their story thoughtfully, where they feel like that this was worth their time. Because I've heard people, um, particularly rappers, say like, "This person has never heard me sing." They don't know what my story is. They don't know why I do this. They don't know how I got here. And yet they're writing an article saying my music sucks. And like, how can you trust that? And there's a, there's a deep sense of like, this is silliness. And so you are able to bring that knowledge and maybe help them answer questions of like, well, we're at this stage and we want to get over here. And you're able to say, well, you know who you might need to talk to? You may need to talk to this person or that person and share like an experience with another person. So what has that been like?
0: It's a really good point. It's like the tech journals are like an organization of beat reporters, almost, right? Because we're all like deep into uh, the technology community, and you're right. I can talk to an entrepreneur and interview them, and at the same time, I can turn the you know turn the recorder off and say, you know what, like this issue that you're having, you should probably go talk to this person in the community. So I can I can I can help them, and kind of goes back to what I said about um, connecting the dots or you know connecting people to what like they need to know or or what they care about. Vancouver is so interesting too, right? Um, Vancouver is interesting in that it is a thriving tech and innovation space, uh, and at the same time, it is full of uh, different siloed, you know, like organizations as well. So th- that's been really, really interesting. And so I spend a lot of my days, and so do our writers, like talking to as many people as possible, um, so we can yeah really understand like the context within which. Um, you know, a, a early stage founder is building his company or, you know, a billion dollar unicorn CEO is building his company. Very different experiences. Uh, but the other thing is, it's not just businesses. It's we've got these incredible institutions, these research institutions in Vancouver and BC. Um, and a lot of people sort of underestimate how much amazing innovation comes out of these institutions. Like that's where a lot of our, our startups uh, are, are founded, uh, especially when it comes to like health tech and biotech and, and agri tech. Like a lot of those businesses come out of these research institutions. Like, yeah, like University of um, Valley, right? Um, UBC. Um So that's, that's been really incredible. And so like for us, again, it really comes back to, you could call us like a news organization. At the same time, I think, When I talk to people, I say, you know, we're really, it's it's like a community. And the ways that we bring that community together are through, you know, news and features and stories and insights and data uh, and events and activities. I mean, we we do all of those as part of uh, how we bring the community together. And and Kate, our our managing editor, she joined us in May 2nd. it's funny, she did an interview, actually at a conference in Toronto, funny enough, she was on a podcast, and she said, one of the biggest things I've learned about working at the Tech Journal is that, you know, I always thought we were a news organization, but in fact, we're like, our, our biggest value proposition is, is that we're a community organization.
1: Yeah, I think that, that that's, Farhan actually mentioned that as well. And I think it it stands out because we just get so used to saying we want the news. But what we really want is a sense of community, a sense of, Being able to talk to people and have a deeper understanding on an issue and not just have a one-way conversation telling people how it is, what it is, um, and, and how to think about things. It's more of a dialogue. And so when you, when you're able to meet with someone in those early stages, is it meaningful to be able to know that they could be going somewhere that's, that nobody else knows about? You get to kind of get the, the inside scoop on ideas that are maybe 10 years down the line. That other people, it's not even on their radar. Because again, I think of podcasts. So many people sort of rolled their eyes at them in the beginning phases. And now everyone I know, when I when they know I have a podcast, they're like, I'm going to start a podcast. And it's like, every it's so cliche now that everybody has a podcast. Yet at a certain point, it was not that popular. Uh, Twitter for a long time, it was like early adopters kind of got this huge benefit of using the platform. And then now it's become maybe less of what it was when those early adopters were really willing to test it out and try different things on it. It kind of gets typecast as something. Uh, same with Instagram. Maybe it's innovative in the early stages and then it becomes not what it was. And so you get the kind of inside scoop before it loses that kind of flair. So mm-hmm. what is that like?
0: I love it. Like, like I said, we hear from so many different people in the community that are, that are building different businesses and, not only do we get to sort of we get the inside scoop on a lot of these early stage companies. I always find it really interesting to talk to entrepreneurs about why they are seeking media coverage. And it's some it, no it's funny, it's funny that a lot of them haven't even thought of that. They just think this is what they're supposed to be doing. They're 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 emailing us about their startup and this product that they built and they and then whenever I'm on a call with a lot of them I'll say so why are you talking to me? Right, what what's going on here, and and it's because they're really passionate about something, and they want to share what they're building with the world. And again, like a big like global mail is not going to cover, it, right? But I always like to ask them, you know, why they're telling their story, and it usually is because they're they're just really passionate about whatever it is that they're building, and you it know, it's things that again, like right now, you might think, oh, that's kind of interesting. Like, will that be a thing in the future? Maybe it will be, uh, but then I bet you ten years from now. Uh, it's going to be a, a, a really big deal and something that everyone's talking about. And I think there are many examples of that. Like, again, when we look at all these different verticals that I mentioned, like agritech and, and health tech and blockchain, right? There's so many companies that I've talked to that I think, like, you know, that's a really interesting use case for that piece of technology. I'm really excited to see where that is in seven to eight years, right? Because that could be – it could be gone also, like a lot of startup sale, but it also could be something that – um changes how we live and so it's, it's for someone like me who gets to talk to so many entrepreneurs a day in a way not literally but in a way it is it's a peek into the future
1: absolutely one of the ones that stood out to me in a recent interview you did was uh financial sector and you talked about wealth simple what do you see in wealth simple that other people might miss because i think that that is an industry that maybe hasn't hit mainstream yet. I don't know if that's still a word we use, but it's something that slowly <laughs> people are getting on board with. Their marketing is off the charts. Like Wealth Simple has, they were on YouTube for a while doing like little short clips. I thought it was, incredible to see how they were marketing to people and how they were showing their kind of differentiation between um, them and in big banks um, but you talked about them and what do you see that they're doing because you said they're Canadian based I think right
0: yeah, yeah. well well simple is, they're based in Toronto yeah. um, but they're yeah they've got employees across Canada and they're sort of a well-known um, it's interesting there's a few points on this actually though I want to touch on like well simple is actually pretty well known and they would be called a Canadian sort of Fintech success story at the same time, like many other technology industry companies at the moment um, they're going through well you might say growing pains um, but let's I want to separate the two conversations uh, I think Wells is extremely innovative i use like I use their product right um, can you describe what they are for people who might not know sure oh yeah i mean this is a problem they 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 were doing one thing, which was helping anyone sort of, you know, invest a dollar in the stocks. So an an, an app that you could go on, you could click, you know, uh, an Apple stock, and then you could, you know, buy a a fraction of it, or you could buy a whole stock. Apple's not a good example because their shares are too high. But any any other stock, right, on the TSX or, you know, uh, the NASDAQ, uh, which are stock exchanges for anyone else that know, right? Uh, And they would make it really simple for anyone to invest their money. So there's two things they did initially. One is you could just, you know, add $100, let's say, every two weeks to your investing account. And then Wealthsimple would have their own investors go and invest for you, right? You don't have to think about it. You can watch your investments are they going up or are they going down. And you can tell them at the beginning of your investing journey, are you someone who um, has a bigger risk appetite? So you're okay with wild fluctuations in the value of your portfolio or you can say actually, you know what? I want, you know, reasonable returns. And I don't want to be stressed about my portfolio dropping, you know, like 40% tomorrow. So I've got a small risk appetite. And so you tell Wealthsimple that, and then it'll do the investing for you. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing was, um, if you were someone who were a bit, was a bit more sophisticated, um, and you want to choose your own stocks, it also allows you to do that very simply, right? You up some, upload some money into the app, and then you click like, here, I want to invest in this, I want to invest in this, execute the trade, and you can control that completely, Right um it also does some other really cool things just like one of the biggest pet peeves in canada for the longest time was the fact that like it was actually kind of hard for me to send you money it was like a, a dollar to do an interact e-transfer in my online banking well simple has a thing called well simple cash and like your wall where i can just be like 10 bucks clump, over there and, like done you've got the money now in the u.s i'm not sure if you know the term venmo just no. like venmo me that like Most people in the U.S., like if you're in New York, like everyone has a meal. One like like five people, one person pays for it, and then it's just like click, click. There, we're we're settled now, right? So that's like very common there. It's less common in Canada because banks have made it harder for us to do that. It's it's slightly getting better. Anyways, Well Simple is uh, very innovative, and in many ways, the simplicity that Well Simple I think that they brought to finance and fintech in Canada uh, over the past few years has forced some of the larger banks, Well's not a bank, but it's forced the banks to uh, at the very least improve their their user experience, right? Um like even my BMO bank account that's like my primary bank like has gotten a lot better in the year and I think that it's gotten a lot better because uh these upstarts like Wealthsimple has made the banking experience a lot more um user friendly, a lot slicker, the user interfaces a lot better. And so I think it's good for these like smaller innovative companies to pressure these larger organizations to do better.
1: Do you think that that is a tough situation to be in? Because... It's the same we sort of hear with elections, which is you have the Green Party, they come in, they're pushing all these new ideas, and then the NDP goes, well, I'll just take we'll just take those ideas. Exactly that. Yeah. And so it, it really impacts the ability for them to continue to grow because those those Goliaths kind of go, oh, I'll just take an idea here and I'll just take an idea there and then the Green Party's no longer running a unique platform, they're running on everything else. And it seems like it's the same problem for a while, simple as you take their secret sauce and you just kind of replicate it, and all the banks do the same thing. And then now they have to find a new secret sauce in order to continue to grow.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, the people that run those companies, again, they're, they're special individuals that can look at uh, essentially the cartel of big banks that we have in Canada and say, I'm going to take on that. Like that's a special individual, <laughs> right? That, that thinks that they can do that and thinks that they can be successful. Um, Wealth simple is seeing significant success, I would say. Um, there's another one in Calgary called uh, Flamingo. And again, this is where I kind of feel like I'm like, oh, I kind of get to like talk to these people in advance, right? And so uh, their CEO's name is Turan and I met him in Saskatoon and he was just in Vancouver a few weeks ago for another conference. And they're like, They're like the Wealth Simple disruptors. Like, they're like, if if Wealth Simple was built for millennials, uh, this, there's another company called Flamingo out of Calgary that's like built for, um, Gen Z. And so it's like taking Wealth Simple and then said, actually, we're going to make this even easier and we're going to make this like even simpler and, and have it more like focused on, um, Gen Z in terms of like the UX and how they navigate the internet. Um, so th- I think that's really interesting.
1: Interesting. So you kind of get to see the second disruption um, taking place because people go, well you did it good but maybe we can make this even simpler and how do we make this more accessible? Because I think finance is one that it's just, it's really unfair because you have this unequal distribution of people who know and people who have no idea. The average person has no idea what the S&P 500 is. Um, how it works how to invest carefully and strategically, how to have a a risk mindset or or a safe mindset and and what makes sense during what period. Most people don't even understand really inflation and how that kind of comes about. And you see government spending and then people are really supportive of that. And then now we're in a period of inflation and it's like most people don't seem to connect the two or say that they have any relationship.
0: Yeah, I mean... That's, that's such a big conversation. I don't, I don't know. This conversation has been about a lot of things. So yeah. I don't know if it fits in, but yeah, the infl- people love government spending until government prints money and then everything's more expensive because there's too much liquidity in the market. Yeah. Sorry, it's like my little rant. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. A lot, a lot of people don't understand how that works. It's the,
1: it's the <laughs> weird one for me because I, as an indigenous person, knowing that inflation impacts people on fixed incomes the worst and knowing that many indigenous communities are, are on fixed incomes I just don't understand how it doesn't get said. Like, There's no news article that I read that says inflation impacts these communities the worst because they're on fixed incomes. And so we don't want spending for the benefit of the communities that would be detrimentally impacted by it. like i just i don't hear it and then i say it and i feel like i'm crazy because i'm the only person saying it even though um as a law grad it said it in my textbook like it's not just dis- it's not controversial mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and then i just i don't hear about it and i'm very concerned over the next 10 years of what inflation is going to impact uh, my community and other indigenous communities
0: yeah i know it's a really good point and yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that. It's funny. I just want to quickly note that I listened to your conversation with uh, Camden. Yes. I follow him on Twitter. And so as soon as I saw that you talked to him, I, I, I was like, ooh, I got to listen to that episode. Yeah. So, um, uh, but you're absolutely right. And it's, it's funny, again, not to bring this back to technology necessarily, but technology affects all of these things, right? Like technology is, interestingly enough, um, deflationary, right? So technology innovation should make things cheaper. And at the same time, things aren't getting cheaper. So it's like, well, why is that? Like it's a really interesting question that like people smarter than me and scholars smarter smarter than me really explores, right? Well, it's because there's a focus on growth and jobs and like we fund growth in society through in many cases debt, right? And then again, that leads to inflation and higher prices for things. And that again affects different communities differently. So it's like it's a really interesting conversation.
1: Yeah, I find it fascinating how maybe sometimes we don't appreciate things as much like we just bought a new flat screen tv <laughs> and it was only 1500 bucks and it's like the it's the the lgc1 and they came out with the lgc2 and it's not that different from the last one and we were asking questions and it was like i feel like this should be five thousand dollars mm. like in my in my heart and like my my pocketbook, like I'm just like, this should be what you're telling me how amazing this is in comparison to what I have now. It's so much better. And yet the price has over time decreased. But in so many other areas, like the phone has stayed relatively the same. I think it's usually like a thousand bucks for a new iPhone mm-hmm. if, you're bu- if you're trying to buy it out, right? And so things haven't come down in that regard. Um, I'm interested in your thoughts on where you think you can take the Vancouver Tech Journal. What, what do you think is going to happen in the future? Because you're, you're kind of alluding to this idea that it could be something larger. You mentioned that in another interview. Uh, what is your kind of value proposition where you see this going in the future?
0: For sure. So the Vancouver Tech Channel, the way I really think of it is we uncover and, and tell stories that matter, right? And initially the mission was always like, we're just going to provide the most complete coverage possible, right? So it's the big news stories, but it's also the the little stories Right the future big stories, right, and so we've been building a community, and in order to for that to be sustainable, we need to attract partners so at the tech journal and as well as I'd say the other overstory brands, it's really about you know growing the audience, attracting partners, which allows us to invest right in in growing the audience further. right that's sort of like the cycle or or the loop um we've seen amazing success with the tech journal, so When I was writing it for fun, we had about 1,000 subscribers. Now we've got over 20,000 subscribers, right? So that's fantastic. And when we look at how many people actually open the newsletter, that hasn't really changed at all. Like, it's a high percentage. Like, over 10,000 people are actually opening the newsletter, uh, which is incredible. And sometimes it's scary. It's like, oh, wow, like, what what we write here and, Kate, what you edit, like, it really matters because people are going to read this and this is going to shape their understanding of their community and and their world from like a technological lens. Right. So that's really important. And we think that what we do in Vancouver is just as applicable anywhere else. And based off the conversations that I've had with people uh, in in other communities across Canada, um, they they agree with us. Um, And it's not just tech, right? It's like just local journalism, local storytelling. Um, There needs to be more of that in different communities. So we actually have a Victoria Tech Journal now. Um, and it's just getting started, but we're getting the same sort of reception where people think I got an email from some other day saying like, thank goodness you guys have this now because we have stories to tell and there's no one, the, the, where would we send this to? Who would we send this story to? Who would we try and tell the story to? Um, and again, like we're again, I don't even, it's funny. Like, and I've always thought this with my life personally. And then also with the tech journal, like we're not necessarily experts, but we're the ones that are putting our hands up to say, we're going to work on this thing. Yeah. Right. And so whenever people mention me as like being in with journalism stuff, I always find that really funny because I don't think I'm a journalist, right? But I do think of myself as someone who like does journalistic things, right? And so in Victoria, like again, I'm writing about Victoria entrepreneurs. People are saying, "Thank goodness someone is doing this. No one else was doing this." Uh, like I said, I'm in Kelowna next uh, month, and this, it's the same situation where people say. You know, like no one is really doing this locally. I think, that's crazy. Like, why isn't someone already doing this, right? So we absolutely have ambitions to take what we're doing in Vancouver and doing it in other cities. And what's really important to me is that, like, I'm not going to be in Kelowna or in Calgary or in Saskatoon. Um, and these are all places where we're looking at. Right? Um, we're going to find the the me or the Kate or the James. they are our, ma- our main writers. Right? Mm-hmm. Of those places. And we're going to give them the tools and the playbook and the resources um, to succeed. That's really what we're thinking.
1: That's so fascinating because you're creating like a a focused community. And that seems like what Facebook was trying to do. But then it seems like it falls off, like the, the importance of having people know where they can go to get the information that's relevant and specific to them so they know because when you open the newspaper, you don't know which page is going to jump out at you. You don't know what you're looking for as the reader. And so that's why you rely on an editor to try and kind of put put the story together for you and, and engage you in some sort of way. But then that forces some constraints around what you talk about, what you think is going to catch people, what's going to make them buy the next newspaper or open you the next time. Like it, it constrains you. But when you're focused on a topic and you say – you can expect to hear about technology in this. Then people go, well, I'm invested in that. Maybe I work in that field. Maybe I know somebody in that field. Maybe I'm interested. Like it creates a sense of community where they sort of know the topic already, where they can get excited about it. And it is, I think, a challenge when, everything is always in a hub. And so like Vancouver is the hub or uh, New York is the hub, or there's a certain hub, then all of those other communities where somebody has an interest, a passion, and then they don't get to share it the same way because Well, now I have to move to Vancouver to go be successful at that if I actually Mm -hmm. want to have a voice. And you're democratizing that. You're saying – and I think there was just an article written about how, like, postal codes really influence people's ability to succeed because their location predicts so many things about their health, their well-being, their their employment opportunities, their educational opportunities, that the ability to democratize that and say – no, you're in this community and there's a sufficient amount of people doing something similar to you where we can talk about that, promote that, and then share that with our other audiences so that you do get that kind of recognition. And it's, I would say that OMG is doing something unique in that they're focusing on the community rather than let's get the biggest and best stories across all of Canada, which a lot of other news organizations do.
0: Yeah, I I love that. And so yeah, at Overstory, right? We've got... We do have like, yeah, like a small communities and then we've got communities uh, focused on like topics and niches, right? So there's the Burnaby Beacon uh, and then there's, um, but there's also like Tasting Victoria, right? So it's Victoria plus food. And so I love how like the more niche you can go, the better almost, right? So we're Vancouver plus tech and innovation, right? And so that's what we're going to do in other places we want to do. We want to do Calgary plus tech and innovation, right? So you can say like, oh, like, yeah, that's me. Like, I really care about that. And that's really important to us. And it's funny, this is how I think about stuff, just like personally, like, if you care about something, like the best way to like find the other people that also care about that is to um, just like share your ideas and thoughts about that topic. So I would always say, you know, speak your language and the people who can understand that language, they're the ones that are going to respond to you, right? So you land in another country. Uh, like, let's say you land in Russia, um, it's like, start talking like English, right? And eventually, is there someone who's going to speak English, and they're going to say, oh, okay, like, now we can hang out, right? Now we can talk about this thing based off that, like, connection. And so when I moved to Vancouver and started writing the tech journal, that was kind of like what happened, right? I was just like, tech, 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 everything tech. And then the people who are also in the tech were like, oh, like, I'm, I speak the same language as that guy. Like, maybe I'll hang out with that guy, or maybe I'll build a connection or relationship with that guy. Um, So we want to help people do that in other communities. We want the people in Calgary or in Halifax who are passionate about tech and innovation and people building the future. We want to be able to bring them together.
1: Yeah. And you get immersed in such fascinating topics, um, areas that maybe you didn't even know that would stand out to you. So can we go through a few like in health and technology? what interests you is there a company that's doing something fascinating is there a ceo that's doing something that stands out to you that's innovative that's changing things personally i interviewed ryan darcy i don't know if you know who he is but he did um project iron soldier um i'm pretty sure i'm getting the name right and it was uh, he's a neuroscientist he had um a veteran who was injured and he was able to build like legs for him to be able to walk again after a child stabbed an ax into the back of his head um, when he was in Afghanistan, I think. Mm. And so it was fascinating to be able to, and I had no idea that the, the health tech division is a growing industry in BC. So do you have any any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, no, you're right. There are, like, this could just in itself be like a five-hour conversation just about all the different innovative companies, right? So, But since, yeah, you mentioned health, there are... Countless really incredible, um, some people call them uh, health tech, some people say, people say med tech, some people say like biotech, life sciences. But like, yeah, I mean, yeah, let's go through a couple of them. Um, really innovative company called PreNuvo. I'm not sure if you've heard of PreNuvo, mm-hmm. right? So MRI machines are these massive things and they take like hours to do an MRI screening on you and they cost tons of money, right? And you can, you're on, people are on like wait lists for like months to get an MRI if something's wrong with them. So what the PreNuvo was doing, um, it costs $2,500 right now, so it's kind of pricey, but you can pay $2,500 and you can get a full-body MRI scan um, done in like 40 minutes, which is crazy. Um, And then the the goal is that they can bring that price down far enough so that like you and I could go like a couple times a year. Um, And through those MRIs, they're going to be able to identify like life saving or like any life altering potential problems that you have. Um, but again, it's something that's like, you can't really get now, but they have them in Vancouver, these devices, uh, New York, San Francisco. Um, but a lot of the R and D and engineering talent and and it's all in Vancouver, which is pretty incredible. And wow. there's a, CEO, a guy named Andrew Lacey. And I got to, yeah, like meet with him casually at their office on Broadway. And like, so that's like something that I'm like, okay, that that's really going to affect a lot of people eventually, right? A bit pricey now for most people, but again, their vision is to bring that price down. And and I think they'll be able to do that as they have more locations, right? And sort of they get to um, take advantage of economies of scale. So that's a really exciting company. Um, there's, an, there's like another company called GeneXus. Um, they were basically spun out of UBC. And so what they're tackling is um, the issue of, drugs that doctors prescribe not working on people or having ad- adverse effects. So a lot of people don't realize, or maybe people do realize, like almost all the drugs that doctors recommend for you, like whenever you go in and you've got some issue, like they don't work or they do something bad to you actually, right? And it's because what's happened over the last like centuries that you go to the doctor, you say, oh, this thing is, is aching. And the doctor goes like, ah, try this. If it doesn't work, come back. Like medicine hasn't changed in like centuries, right? Um, Whereas what GeneXus helps people do is, um, it'll help, sorry, it's a test, and the field is called pharmacogenetics. And I'm not smart enough to talk about it in depth, but that's what the the skull, I've written an article about them. Um, It's a test you can take, and the test will essentially tell you, like, here are all the drugs that you should not be taking, right? And so your doctor can get that, and so whenever the doctor's treating you and prescribing medication to you, Um, The odds that the drugs will actually work or not harm you will go up significantly. And so as an individual, I want that. As a doctor, I want that. Uh, And as an insurance company that's paying for these drugs, uh, I want that as as the government, like the public health system. I also want that because we want to be like improving people's like health outcomes and not wasting money. So they're like another really cool company. Mm-hmm. Uh and then a, a a big company, whoops, that people should know is um, and a lot of people might already know is Abcellera. So Abcellera um has been around since I want to say 2012, again, spun out of UBC. Um, and it got really well known during the COVID pandemic because it was the first company in the world to uh essentially help create a COVID-19 antibody treatment. So not the vaccine but a drug that people could take um, that would significantly improve health outcomes if if you got it. And so again, um, local company, um, they, I I don't know how to describe them besides like, like world-class everyone around the world knows them. Scientists around the world know, know them they're investing significantly locally in, in in lab space and in training, like the next generation of people in, in, in in biotech Um, they're led by a guy named Carl Hansen. He's trying to get that guy on like he's just incredible, incredible mind. And they just have an amazing team. And um again, another reason why this is a whole other topic that people came to sort of know them is that they had this antibody treatment, which was uh, approved by health Canada and it was approved by the FDA in the U S. And so in the U S like hundreds of like, like thousands of patients were being treated with this antibody and controversially um, Health Canada purchased this antibody treatment federally. And yet, uh, the BC government, um, was like, hmm, humming and hawing on this for like months and, um, wouldn't use it. So we had this incredible antibody treatment that other jurisdictions were using and the federal government already paid for. And yet it was, it was sitting on shelves in, in cold storage in BC. And so it was, um, something quite controversial that was in the news, um and it was again i don't know it's again that's a good thing about canada and a unique thing about canada and the provinces have the independence to you know make different policy that fits their their people and their jurisdictions but then in some cases um as a regular person some things don't make sense but it's a whole other topic we don't have to get into but to the original question when it comes to yeah health tech um there are Many, many, many incredible businesses and researchers and entrepreneurs in the province that are working on some really incredible things that uh, have like significant potential to like save lives and improve outcomes for people.
1: Yeah, I think that that's particularly interesting where. You have like a level of innovation, a level of drive that you just maybe don't recognize or appreciate or or get to see. And so, hearing about how there's these businesses, these organizations, these entrepreneurs who are bringing about really positive change is something that not everybody realizes. And so, when you get to hear about it, it kind of inspires you to go like, "Wow, the BC made like that." That means something to us in like a weird way that sort of sports does as well. When you find mm-hmm. out like your favorite sports person is from your community or something like that. And so I think that that's really interesting. Agriculture is another big one. It's an issue that continues to arrive um, and impact us. I spoke to Paul Van Westendorp, who's a um, a bee expert. He's a provincial apiculturist. And so he was talking to me about the challenges we have with agriculture. Um, We had like this much soil and it just we keep depleting it and using it and then sending it off to around the world. Um, And so we need to make better decisions around our agriculture. And agri-tech is something you've talked about. Can you tell us about what's going on with agriculture and technology, um, the advancements we're making, um, and your thoughts on the industry?
0: Yeah, it's a a really exciting space. And what's interesting about agriculture or agri-tech, or there's a debate if it's called agri-tech or ag-tech, people use both names in BC, is that I think it really came into focus over the past couple of years um, as there were food shortages Um, There were supply chain disruptions and, you know, you'd go into the grocery store and some of the shelves would be empty, right? And you'd think like, well, what's going on here? And it was because literally products couldn't get, you know, across whatever the Pacific or whatnot, right? Um, So it put the need for having like real food security, not just like in urban centers like here, but like up north in BC, put that into focus, right? And it, it makes, again, thinking about agriculture and like where our actual food comes from, it made it even more important. And in BC, there are, similar to health tech, there are so many companies working on th- these challenges in um, really innovative and in different ways. So um, there's an exciting company called, you know, Terra Mera, for example, is, is founded by a guy named Karin Menhas, And we just talked, I just talked to their VP, about like culture and talent and working there. And they're building a product or they have a product called ActiveGate, which essentially, um, enables farmers to use like a fraction amount of the amount of pesticide than they normally would have to to protect their crop yields. So their mission basically is to like, you know, 100x the amount of crop yields, but then also reduce the amount of pesticides used significantly. So that's a really innovative company. And then there are other companies like um, Ecoation. They're based out of uh, North Vancouver. Uh, and similarly, they've got these sensors that you will attach to your crop yields or put in, in your fields. And they will tell you like if your plants are being or crops are being harmed by like pesticides, or not pesticides, um, like bugs, obviously. Um, And they, um, again, will will monitor that through sensors. Um, So again, it'll help you manage the amount of pesticides you use. And then there are other really cool companies like Semios. This is a company that's worth over a billion dollars. They will take these different uh, sensing companies and they'll give a farmer like a dashboard so you can you can track like it's like on an iPad like okay it's raining this much okay like pesticides are affecting our, our crops this much uh, and they pulled all together so a farmer can monitor all of that uh, in in one place. Um, there's another company called Cubic Farms, really really interesting company, and they're building a production facility on Vancouver Island now, uh, but they're based here in the Lower Mainland. And Cubic Farms, they sort of comes from the name. They have these modules. Um, that are sort of stacked on top of one e- each other, so you can basically produce like 10x the food in a square foot than like nor- in a normal field because you've got these stacked modules. Um, so like people can't see, what's- oh, I guess people can see behind you, right? Like those squares. Like imagine each one of those was growing crops, right? And so that like that's in a room, right? So you're 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 10xing the amount of production. In, in small spaces. So that's really significant. And again, that really focuses on how we can increase the amount of food um, without affecting the rest of the environment. So there's like, there's, there's a ton of companies in the space. Like I go on a long time about yeah. AgriTech in BC and, and how important it is again, just like getting food to people and not just like in Vancouver, like in Vancouver, like, like there's farms around, like outside of the city, like we've got grocery stores, but, it's really important when you think of some of these more remote areas in BC and how we serve them and how do we get them food.
1: Yeah. Baby food is a big one. Um, I think you, I think it was you or one of your team members that actually wrote an article all about baby food because there have been shortages recently around the baby food industry and people trying to disrupt the system, um, that maybe is getting outdated. I think the person you interviewed was focused on like, maybe babies don't want to eat some of this food. Maybe there's better ways that we could go about feeding them healthy nutritional diets that goes beyond just apples, um, pears, mandarins. I don't know what baby food uh, is common, but in that space, can you talk about that? I
0: I do remember that article and James Matthews on our team wrote it and I read it a long time ago. So I honestly forget the in-depth stuff, but what you just said is is exactly that. Um, And I think for me, what's just unique Or interesting is the fact that, yeah, we have these people taking things and then saying, well, hold on a second, asking questions about doing things differently. I think that's the important thing. Like, again, to compare the baby food example of like, well, you know, maybe babies don't want to eat this food. Like, how can we do that differently? And then if you look at cubic farms around like farming. It's like, well, we've got this fixed amount of land. You know what? In cities, whenever we have a fixed amount of land, what do we do? We build up. So maybe we could do that with our farming. Right. So it's another th- way that like people think differently. And, you know, you can tie that back to, like I said, the phrase, think differently. Again, like a company like Apple, like, well, you know, this is how pr- computers were made. Maybe we can build computers this way. Right. Um, and so, yeah, whether it's like healthcare or food, there are a lot of people in BC thinking about, Um, how we can do things differently and perhaps making things better. So I, I love that.
1: Do you think that you are an optimistic person because you get to see the solutions? It's easy. I had an ocean pollution expert on He was, he remained optimistic, but it was tough to hear such negative information about the oceans and how we're polluting it and how we're uh, contaminating killer whales and then talking to somebody else about how we use rat poison and then that rat poison enters owls and it's like, it can be very, it can be a negative space. But you get to hear about the solutions, the people who are saying, we've been doing it this way, let's do it some, some other way that's going to be better for everybody involved. Maybe we won't get it right the first time, but we'll bring the prices down, we'll change these things. So do you find that the space that you get to work in, the people you get to hear from give you that inspirational juice that you get to go like, we're, we're flawed as humans, we're not perfect but we're moving in a better direction. Is that how you get to feel regularly? Do you feel like it's it's tough to stay positive? I'm just curious.
0: No, that's exactly how I feel. Um, I, I feel very lucky and I wish... And I guess it's kind of why I do my job, right? It's that I do get to hear about all these innovations and in technology. I get to talk to people. I want everyone to know everything that I know. Um, and I also... So I am optimistic. I'm also just like personally... Um, if I look at my life, like, I've always had the attitude that like, you know, things will work out, like, people are good, you know, at the end of the day, like, things, things will be better, right? And I kind of see that with technology and innovation. And then again, I've, I've also gone through that. Um, and the other thing with like tech and innovation is like, I see a lot of things that people are working on, and the outcome is not necessarily what they thought initially. So you might be building this new technology, and your initial idea didn't work. Um, but then we're going to use like whatever tool you built uh, and we're going to apply a different use case to it. That happens in tech and innovation a lot too. And if you talked to, um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think anyone in tech and innovation, they'd say like there's technology and then there's innovation and the tech might be like the raw new thing you made. And then the innovation is like, how did we apply that, um, to like increase social value? To do something like good for the world, actually, right? So, I think for a lot of people, at least within government anyway, there's a difference between tech and innovation. There's like tech, which is like the thing you made, maybe like uh, the fact that you can make an app. And then the innovation would be like, oh, if you're using that app uh, for a really good purpose, that would be the innovation.
1: Do you think that's hard for the CEO, the leader, the person who started it? You have to have a vision of where you're taking all of this. And so, you almost have to be willing to let go of what you thought it was going to be used for. Like maybe you're in the medical space and you're like, this is how this is going to function. And then an agriculture person comes along and says, hey, we can just extrapolate this and apply it to this. And then they go, but I care about health. Like that's why I got Do you think that's a challenge for CEOs? I
0: I think um, for some people, yes. But I think there are are people who recognize um, the value in both. Yeah, there are some people who are very much into... um, agriculture or health and they want to stay in those spaces but actually he's such a good example like michael gilbert he's the ceo of semios which is one of the companies i just mentioned i talked to him recently and he specifically was like like i'm not a farmer you know what i mean but i just know how powerful these tools are and i think farmers need to harness them uh for all these reasons right and so he's i don't think he's necessarily like married to farming and agriculture but he's an extremely intelligent person and he knows how to scale tools and engineering and bring people together for a common purpose. And right now that common purpose is helping farmers like grow more crop yields. Um, so I think for a lot of people, yes, like there, there's, there are certain tools and tech and some people might be really focused on a specific niche, um, but some people are more focused on like, can we solve problems in, in any field, right? And I'm trying to, th- how I would com- Compare that to other things. Like if you look at BC, what makes BC unique is that sure, there are all these different niche tech fields like ag tech, agriculture, blockchain. But what I would say makes BC or Vancouver special in the tech world is that you just have like smart, talented people that um, have really good transferable skills and they can apply them in any one of these fields. And so you see someone jumping from like the egg space to the health space or Um, like the VRAR space right into like another software space. Um, So yeah, no, it's it's super fascinating.
1: Do you think that's a challenge that we as maybe human beings struggle with, which is we want the expert talking about it for whatever reason. You talked about how you are yourself or like you don't consider yourself an expert in the field, but you're willing to go talk to people and stay in the loop and educate yourself, which does in some way make you an expert. But that, that falling in love with the idea that we need... The head of the agriculture board. I don't know if that's a thing, but we need that person to tell us how to do things better. Isn't necessarily the case. I think it's like um, like when we've gone to space, we often go, well, "Why do we need to go to space? Like, what a waste of money. We don't need that." But a lot of the technological innovations that we've experienced as people around phones, microwaves. Um, I'm sure there's more, many more that I'm not thinking of that impact our daily life. Like, we think we invest in like a new machine that it's going to fix all of our healthcare problems. But the solution seems to come from way over here where we didn't anticipate the impact that that was going to have on our industry. Like we expect it to come from the field in which the problem originated. And that's not always the case. Do you think that that's sometimes a challenge for us is that we want it to all kind of fit into siloed boxes and that's just not how solutions kind of come about?
0: Yeah, I would say that, I don't know if it's a challenge, but I would say that's like a misconception a lot of maybe young people have um, when they're like looking at their future in the world. And I think a lot of people think like, well, you know, I have to grow up and I have to do this thing. And this is where we're going to solve yeah, space flight or this is where we're going to solve agriculture. And like, every. They, I think people think everything should make sense and not everything makes sense. <laughs> um so I, I do think people struggle with that in that sense. The other thing is I think people forget – like, people have short memories. Um, And then once we have a thing, I think people very quickly take – the new innovation we have for granted.
1: For real, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right.
0: Um, and so once we have something in our hands, people forget like where it came from, who developed it. It doesn't really matter. It's like, I want Wi-Fi on a plane, and why doesn't this Wi-Fi work, right? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, uh, Even though it might have been developed for something else, yeah. right? Uh, and so I think people have very short memories.
1: Do you think that that's a good thing or a bad thing, that we kind of we catch the Steve Jobs, but we don't remember a lot of the people that kind of brought it about? It scares me personally because it makes us as a society as a whole ungrateful for all of the advancements that we've kind of experienced. I think of podcasts and video communications like this as like now, like for the longest time, specifically indigenous communities have been kind of disconnected from everything else. They couldn't hear from voices like yourself. If you're in Vancouver, they're not in Vancouver. How are they supposed to hear about you? YouTube has disrupted so that they could learn from someone like yourself or from a doctor or it's, it's diversified the voices you can hear from. And that gives me a lot of hope, but we don't recognize that we don't talk about it the way I think we need to in order to understand that things are getting better, that the problems specifically around Indian residential schools was you had one siloed group in one area and one and the rest of society over here. Now, Social media communications allows us to communicate kind of flawlessly. And so I'm grateful for that because it seems like technology has made sure that we can't repeat the mistakes of the past, but we're not grateful for it. We don't talk about it. Maybe we don't understand how things have advanced. Do you think that that's something we need to do a better job on is appreciating sort of the growth? Or do you think that there's just too much advancement all the time to be able to keep track of who did what and when?
0: No, I, I think you absolutely need to appreciate um, the growth and the change. And I would say I agree with you. Um, like progress and change, and also just like history needs to be taught and retaught and remind. Like we all need to remind ourselves of like what has changed society and, and what has happened before us. I mean, like I just think that's that's critical. H- at the same time, um, to your point, like or if you look from a tech and innovation lens, it's like there's absolutely no way you or I could learn about in-depth every single piece of technological advancement that's happened like it's like it's sort of impossible, right? Yeah. Like when when would that happen? Um but I do think it's important that um and this is something we do at the Vancouver tech show. If we were talking about anything, um context is important just from a storytelling perspective, right? If we are talking about um Let's say advancements in tech and innovation or health or whatever. It's like, well, how was it before and what, what was the journey that got us to where we are today? Uh, what were the barriers that had to be overcome for us to to put us in this situation? Whenever we're talking about any of these tools or tech or innovation like that. And then especially like when we're talking about, yeah, like residential schools, right? Um, to be honest, it wasn't even that long. It's not that long ago, actually, right? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, right? Like, when people think of it, like, something like that. It's not that long ago, actually, right? Yeah. So um, I think it's absolutely necessary that people understand, like, where did we come from? Um, and people need to be reminded so we don't do anything like that ever again, um, especially with that topic. But also with tech and innovation, I think it's really important that, like, context. People think, like, oh, well, we have this device, and this is what this device does. Um it's equally as important to people know. It's like, well, there's a reason this is this specific way, um, it, and because maybe there were unintended consequences of previous approaches. Um, so I think that's really important to think about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Can we... You did an amazing article. I don't think it was specifically on CEOs, but it was about kind of leaders in the tech and business space that stood out to you, and they all were female. And I thought that that was really admirable because, and in the last podcast you talked about, it seems like they can be overlooked or sort of missed. And so you did a great job of highlighting different individuals in different spaces. One of them was the First Nations tech council leader. Denise and, Williams. Yeah. So can you tell us some of the people that stood out to you um, and and their contributions?
0: Yeah. And, and so as, I'm glad that you noticed that it was all women because that was very intentional. And But you didn't say but it. But I didn't say it on purpose. That was also very intentional. And that was, I think, uh, International Women's Day, I think two or three years ago, I, I did a tweet thread of like, here are some really important leaders that are having a, really a disproportionate impact on the community. Right. That one person should have. And it was, it was a list of, I like, think, 23 female leaders. And I very intentionally didn't say, like, here are the 23 women you need to know in the space. Um, because I, yeah, it kind of was, it kind of wasn't important, right? It should just be like, here are really important people that are like kind of shaping like how we all grow companies and create this community. Um, and yeah, they, they happen to be women, right? And, and, and that's really important. And, yeah, there's so many incredible people on that list. So yeah, Denise Williams, um, former CEO of the First Nations Technology Council, she just stepped down. Uh, but she uh phenomenal leader, and she was also on the board of Innovate BC where I used to work. Um incredible person. Uh who's another unique person on that list? Um yeah. for a totally different reason. Kim Kaplan. Um so she is the CEO of a company called Snack. Um, and it's kind of like Tinder meets TikTok local company and she was the third employee at uh plenty of fish like the dating site so this is like a long time ago but she was at that company and helped grow it to hundreds of millions of users and and she was there till it was sold to the match group for 575 million dollars um which is pretty remarkable and so she's since started a new company another person on that list um Kirsten Sutton. She's the chief technology officer at uh Van City, the uh not a bank co- uh, cooperative. Um she's pretty remarkable in that she's like a French trained chef. Uh she had like 15 jobs before she was 20. Um and now she um leads a technology organization essentially. And so I find her really special just cuz again it's like not necessarily someone who's, like, hardcore into tech, but it's just a person that's very thoughtful and good at leading teams. And so this is where they find themselves. And I think that's really special in the tech space And that um, it's kind of how I think about myself. Like, I happen to be knowledgeable about tech and stuff, but, like, there's more to me than tech. Yeah, you're a multidimensional <laughs> person. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so I think Sun's just a, a great example of that. Yeah. Um there's a long list and there's a lot of people i could talk about but those are three that stand out for sure
1: absolutely it was really beautiful how you wrote it because it didn't stand out to me and then i kind of went oh i think because i was like this would be a good podcast guest this would be a good podcast guest and those list styles are so so helpful um i'm interested who are some ceos generally that stand out to you that maybe we uh, don't know about and and what do you see in them that we might not be able to see
0: um, like locally or globally, or
1: your call, yeah, my dealer's t- choice.
0: <laughs> um, I mean, if if we stay local just for a bit, um, there's a woman named Allison Taylor, and she's the CEO of a company called uh, Jane Software or Jane App. Some people call them, and most people know these, counselors, right? This is well, counselors, physios, massage therapists—they all use their tool for like booking their patients. So. It's funny, I talk to most people and they immediately know Jane Software or Jane App. And so it's a North Vancouver company. Um, Allison Taylor herself was a physio, um, was like, I need a tool that works the way I want it to work. And it didn't really exist. So her and a business partner, Trevor, um, created Jane App and then eventually started selling it to other clinics and and other um, health services providers. And that company is doing like over $50 million in annual uh, revenue. And you have to remember that their clients are only paying them like, like 100 bucks a month. So they have like every, every health service provider you can think of, I'm sure, like locally and then also in other countries and jurisdictions must use JNAP. Because uh, I talked to her recently uh, for a Vancouver Tech in-person event. And uh it was an event that I spoke to a company with like five million in revenue, a company with 10 million in revenue, and then Jane, Allison Taylor was there doing fifty plus million in revenue. And she's just like, I'm just just thinking about that, right? Like a physiotherapist that now leads a fifty million dollar technology company. What? It's wild. And yeah. so um just people see like that's why I'm interested in people. Like I don't really care about the software. Yeah. Like that's just an incredible story. She's such an interesting woman, she's a mother, like she's such an interesting person. Um and I've I've talked to her and like they're obsessed with like their staff and their customers and they know like you take care of your staff the staff are going to take care of everyone else right and like I think that's been a really key to their success and and um she's just like a like a badass if I can You're
1: say absolutely. that on <laughs> you know
0: what I mean like uh so uh when people actually actually I was actually on another podcast someone asked me who my my favorite CEO was and she's always at the top of my list, yeah. Um, up there with, like, you know, Elon Musk. Like, she's, you know, like, someone that I really respect, and I think a lot of people can learn a lot about her. And she's not out there, like, trying to, like, say how great she is. Like, it's very hard actually get her to, like, do an interview or, like, tell her story. She's just, like, just working on the on the product and ensuring the team succeeding, right? So she's very, very high up there. Another CEO, again, okay, let's go global, um... Uh, Brian Chesky. He's the CEO of Airbnb. And um, I don't know. I just think he's a cool guy. Like, I don't know him personally, but like I've listened to all his interviews. I've seen how that company's operated uh, since they were founded. Um, Like initially when Airbnb was pitched to investors, um, most of them thought like, this is insane. Like, you're just going to let like strangers just like stay in other people's homes. Like that sounds like only psychopaths would do that. Um, But a lot of them still backed Airbnb because. Uh, Brian, like his hustle was just so strong that they were like, even if we think this idea is a bit nuts, like this guy is so passionate about this idea and this guy works so hard. uh, We're going to invest in this company. And so again, it comes down to like, every is just like a software app, like whatever, but like the ideas like, you know, unconventional. And then the work at like rate of the individual is remarkable. Right. And so again, comes back to what we started with, like, Tech, the tech space is just interesting because of the people, generally.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you think of how they've really revolutionized markets. Uber's the same way. Um, specifically with Airbnb, it's like my partner and I have no interest in staying ho- in hotels anymore because of Verbo and Airbnb. Because there was something... Stale about the experience in hotels that you didn't know was stale until you're sitting there and you're like, "Oh, I can have cups, oh, I can make food like that's not like I don't need to always go out to eat. We can just figure out what works best for us in the space and it it changed a lot of people's thinkings, but it also made people more innovative and I'm really excited about the direction as a culture we're going because side interests, passions, hustles, whatever you want to call them, are becoming more commonplace. The idea of having a podcast on the side or writing on the side through Substack or having an Airbnb that makes you money on the side. There was Mm -hmm. just an article that came out that rentals – we're just outbeat, outpaced the S and P 500 for the first time ever over the last, I think 10 years or something as like a way of bringing in revenue. That's fascinating when the S and has always been kind of the, the standard for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I have a lot of optimism in regards to kind of the direction that we're going.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's funny you mentioned Verbo too. Yes. Great, great website. You said as well. Um, but again, like, yeah, like, people hustling and doing things on the side and like yeah the airbnb story is just so good um, and I, I love your point about, yeah, like people working on other stuff. It's like, sorry, I have a full-time job, right? Like I'm paid well, and I'm still always like hungry to like try new things. And like, what's another thing I can be working on? I just can't help it, right? And I guess that's what like a lot of these people are, are like.
1: <laughs> yeah, just passionate and just willing to like try new things. Because I think that a lot of the freedoms that we have today are for that purpose. So you can go figure out what you enjoy. And I hear a lot of people go like, oh, like it's just too much work. And it's like. If you're doing it and enjoying it, it shouldn't feel like work. It should be like somebody's paying you to do what you love. Mm-hmm. And we sometimes get into this feeling like anytime we're doing something other than watching TV, it's like work, but it's, it's not like there are times where it's like 10 PM and I should be sleeping, but I'm working on the podcast because I'm excited to release this interview. I really enjoy the conversation. I see the value of it. And the most fascinating part to me. Is how much the guest often underestimates the value that they brought. Like the insightful information they brought. Like that always surprises me as the host personally, because I'm like, I just loved that conversation. And they're like, oh yeah, like I don't know how it'll do. Like, I don't know if anybody (laughs) my nonsense. And it's like, why would you like it's so it's just so interesting. Do you see that in other people when you talk to them?
0: So it's so funny. I I do, but it's weird because like I interview a lot of people too, so I should get this, right? So yeah, like I'm on this talking to you, and I'll go home and I'll think like, oh, did I even say anything interesting? Because um, I sometimes have a hard time differentiating between like what I know and just like what everyone knows. Like, because I don't think I'm special, so I'm always like, well, doesn't everyone know all the stuff that I know? Like, this is like, uh, you know, when I talk about tech and something like, is, is this really interesting? Like, I'll be writing like one of our morning reports with a tech journal, like, like. Is this even interesting? Doesn't everyone know this? Um, And so I have to, like, remind myself, like, no, Will. Like, not everyone is obsessed with this stuff like you. So they don't know any of this. (laughs) Right?
1: Yeah. That, I think, is my biggest challenge is because I love just hearing people's passions. And so it doesn't – I enjoy it being about a topic I know nothing about. And then humbling myself. And then going, okay, what do I not know? What questions would be valuable that will help people understand more to show how many different directions in life you can go? Because I think that it's just mind blowing how you can go become obsessed with bees or the ocean or um, indigenous culture or law or tech or like there's just so many different places you can go in life. And you just have to choose one and start to figure out how you can make it meaningful to you. And Sometimes it's from those uh, unlikely places, like the lady who started the Jane app. It's like she would have never thought that. And then now she's making a difference and making people's lives easier to be able to work with their clients and and connect better. And often it's in those like little areas where it's like scheduling with your counselor. You want that to be easy because... Getting help is so important, but I have noticed I work as a native court worker that getting on the phone with the person, the counselor, whoever it is, can be a challenge. Mm -hmm. And then that's discouraging when you're like, finally, okay, I need the help. And then it's like, well, I can't get a hold of the person. So this just proves I shouldn't get help. Mm -hmm. Like the, it's so easy when you're doing something outside your comfort zone to kind of quit. Oh the the AA meeting was rescheduled. Well, this just this just proves yeah. I shouldn't go and it's like no, that th- we need to do better at making sure people connect and uh that seems like what obviously happened there.
0: For sure and like I just I just love the idea of people um kind of talked about it just pursuing passions, trying new things. Uh I again apart from like systemic barriers and stuff like that, I think anyone can do like every anything like Generally speaking, and the only reason I say that, I say this to Michelle, my partner, a lot. Like, I'm like, ah, oh, like everything I've done, I'm like, anyone can do this. Like, is I don't know if what I do is even special. Um, I just think like a lot of it, like, how do I describe it? I just, I, I look at myself and I think of stuff that I've been able to accomplish, and I never think that I have been like qualified, so called qualified to do it. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, anyone can do the thing that I'm doing. I guess I, don't, I don't know. Like, I just. Constantly, I'm trying to just see what I can get away with. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, I I pulled that off somehow. Like, now I have this newsletter. Like, so I'm like, I have a food blog too. I'm like, yeah, someday that'll maybe be famous. That's cool. Like, why wouldn't that work on this thing that I'm interested in right now?
1: You're on a food blog too.
0: Yeah. 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 I'll come on again. We can talk about food.
1: (laughs) Amazing. Because I think that that's like the flair that people bring to their excitement. It's, I was trying to think because. Uh, As the podcast host, I was like, I'm not doing anything special. But then the counterpoint I tried to make to myself was like, who's going to be as interested in talking to the person as you are. And that's going to be your secret sauce is like actually be interested, be engaged. And I'll never forget one of my uh, close friends who came on the podcast. He was fascinated by leather work, started a YouTube channel focused on leather work. And I was like, okay, I know nothing about how to work with leather. I've never worked with it in my life. Most of the stuff I've owned is like faux leather. It's not real. Um, so I was like, okay, develop questions. Where do you get the leather? How do you develop it? What is the the process to make something out of it? How does it feel to make? And he was like, 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 wow, you're really interested. Like, that means a lot to me. I thought you were just going to be like, why do you do this? And like, just kind of be offhanded about it. But it's like, no, that my secret sauce is listening and trying to understand where this came about for them and really engaging in the topic. And that's what I have to hone because that's what other people won't bring to it that I will bring. And so that's going to be the secret sauce of hopefully the success of this is actually being interested and not just there was one person that I've seen and they do interviews, but they read off the same 20 questions for every guest. Mm. And it was like, that is the anti of what I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm, It's like mm -hmm. no question. One person just said like, oh, do you ever ask the same question twice? And I was like, I don't think I've ever asked the same question twice. I don't even think that they're similar in any sort of way. Mm -hmm. And so that's trying to figure out what you're going to do. That's kind of your differentiation is so key.
0: Well, do you ever, it's funny. I'm surprised we've gotten to this point and I haven't asked you a question because... I've been on some other podcasts and I can usually never help myself, I have to start asking questions because it's just my nature. Yeah. Um, but do you ever like get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm not sure what to ask anymore? Has that ever happened with you?
1: In the very early stages, um, it's why part of me doesn't love the research part before because I'm like I'm excited about it it'll be fine but then there are so many interesting things I learn about the person through the research process I usually put in one to two hours of research trying to understand and, and catch like the little things that most people would miss because again that's where I think I, I'm trying to differentiate myself so it's not just reading the headlines it's going down to the very bottom and trying to see if there's anything unique that somebody may have missed or like uh, an interesting aspect of the person listening to other interviews they've done to help prepare so i always have like in the back of my mind like you spoke in an interview for like 45 minutes there's tons of follow-up questions that i can have to always pull on to be super remain interested and to make sure that the conversation feels natural because my goal it's one thing i've always admired about joe rogan's podcast is at the end he'll be like and we just did three hours and the the reaction at the end is always what matters to me of seeing whether or not the person was engaged or not because if they're like finally, we're done. Well, I've done a terrible job as the host then. But if they go, wow, that just flew by, that's an indication that we got lost in conversation. And I think that that's where research and preparedness becomes kind of key is you're not reading off of a list of pre-prepared questions.
0: Very, very cool. And just just if you're curious, I I feel like we haven't been talking that long. So I I think we have, but it doesn't feel like it. So it's good. good.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I'm interested as to what what do you think we can gain from learning about the tech space? Like for people who might not know about. Vancouver's tech space like do you think that this is good for people just to understand like and humble themselves of like there are great people in this environment that you should learn about is it it sounds like for you it's just the journey of people's professional development of growing something that is the standout thing it's not necessarily oh this app has this new piece of technology that allows it to move two seconds faster than the last version Um, it's way more about people's development which I think is fascinating because a lot of people would assume oh you're fascinated by the, the new speed of the new laptop and it's two seconds fast. Like that doesn't seem to be, but that's what people think of when they think of technology.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't care at all about the speed of laptops. Um, I love my MacBook, but um, uh, I don't ever want to write about um, like hardware or anything like that. Like that'll come up in a story, but it's, it's, that's not what makes uh, me passionate about um, the tech industry, right? Um, there are a few things that I think are important locally, right? One is just um, general awareness and appreciation for the people, again, who are attempting these, like, you know, great feats of entrepreneurship, right? Like, I think they deserve to have their stories told. Um, and tied to that is the fact that we were talking about women in tech, right? Like, there might be someone or a girl who's interested in technology, and they need role models, right? And it's not obvious that they're going to, like, get that in their school. Um, like, where, where are they, get, like, like, Allison Taylor of App is not in her textbook yet. Maybe she will be in the future, right? So it's like, I think it's important to tell the stories of people in this city so that other people can go like, oh, interesting, like, there's an example, or there's a role model, or there's, there's someone's experience that I can like, and it's, they're just here in Vancouver, like, everyone has heard of Steve Jobs, but Steve Jobs is not from Vancouver, right? So, you know, the stories of incredible people here, I think are really important. Because I feel like people can relate to that more and they can think like, oh, like, that company's here in in BC. Like, that's really cool. Like, Disney has an animation studio in in Vancouver. It's like, what? Like, that's cool. I didn't know I could like get into that here in BC. So I think stuff like that's really, really important. Um, But there is, there's like, and there's so much work to do in, in the tech sector, right? Like, it's still predominantly, like, white guys, like, let's be honest, right? So we need to think about that, right? Like, we need to like, Horgan's government, I think, used to have a, a thing that was like, we need to increase, like, access and, like, the benefits of technology to as many people in the province, right? And, like, I'm, I'm not a fan of everything the NEP says and does. But that is something that I, like, strongly agree mm-hmm. with. Like, we need to make sure the benefits of, like, the emerging economy you know, reach everyone in the province? Like, how do we do that? And I think probably the first thing is like education and awareness. Uh, So, so that's really, really important. Um, I don't know if I answered your question, but yeah, like it's not like app speeds and downloads. It's like showcasing people like driving awareness about like, you know, what remarkable individuals have done locally. Um, It's, you know, telling the stories of potential role models for other people in the province and it's hopefully throughout all of that, like ensuring that like more people can benefit from tech and innovation. And actually there's a really re- good reason why that's important, which is simply that like long-term there is no scenario where, you know, science and technology and innovation is not going to continue to have an increasing impact on our lives, like food, health, whatever. Um, there's, there's, sorry, in my opinion, there's no scenario where those things don't continue to impact our lives. Sort of like what we started out at the very beginning, talking about technology being upstream of everything. Technology shapes like media and culture and discourse just because uh, it provides like the tools that we use to, to do this, right? And so that shapes everything. And so you know, I want, you know, a 16 year old girl in high school to think like, oh, like the tech industry, what is that? Like I could be a product manager. I could be a UX designer. Like I want them to understand what that means and what that is and to see themselves in that world and potentially impacting that world.
1: Yeah, I think that's so first of all being proud as a British Columbian um, as a Vancouverite or, or whatever it is to be proud of the people who are succeeding in your community, in your area. And I think the the thing that hurts me personally is how easy it is to be jaded to the successful, how easy it is. I know Jeff Bezos isn't a perfect guy. I know Elon Musk isn't a perfect guy. There's no dispute that they're imperfect, flawed individuals, but I've heard people say like I hate Elon Musk and it's like you just you can't it's it's like to me it's like an unwritten rule where somebody has a level of impact on our society that you can't have your normal sort of expectations that he has like a normal life compared to you putting those kind of constraints on a person like that is just not going to fly so admire them for what they were great at. And uh, I just listened to an interview um, where they were talking about how um, Isaac Newton was a conspiracy theorist. Like a crazy nonsensical believed that uh, there's a cabal of people. And it's like we don't remember that for what he did. What he contributed was in physics where he is remembered and where he should be rightfully remembered. Albert Einstein, I'm pretty sure he married his cousin. We don't go to Albert Einstein for his relationship advice. We go to him for advice on how physics works. Like we we categorize people appropriately in that regard, but pulling at people for like their biggest mistakes in history and applying that to them, just, it doesn't seem fruitful. It's not that you can't do it. It's just, it's not fruitful. And so appreciating Elon Musk's advancement of batteries, when from my understanding, and I could be wrong on this, battery improvements and innovation is like it's slowing down and we're having trouble innovating that from my understanding it's the same with solar is like we're trying to figure out how to get more energy out of it and it's just it's a challenge and so when people are able to do anything in those fields that's at all different when you look at Everybody said to Elon, like, how are you going to develop the car manufacturing space? Like, it's already so you have to be giant in order to do that. He figured out a way. That's an inspirational story, whether or not you focus on his personal life or whether or not he's in a relationship with Grimes or whoever it is. (laughs) Like, that's inspirational, regardless of of what his personal story is. And it seems like we, that context, it seems like we sometimes struggle with that.
0: I I think you're absolutely right. And I I know people, like good friends who... Yeah, are the part of like the anti Elon Musk group. And I, I, I don't get it. First of all, we don't know him personally. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? We know, we know him from Twitter and news articles. Yeah. Um, what you cannot dispute is that he essentially uh, transformed like an industry. Like, you cannot dispute that. And you cannot dispute the fact that all the other auto manufacturers um, would have dragged their feet on electric vehicles. Had it not been for Tesla, yeah. right? So he literally cha- changed an industry. Um, in this, in dispute. and in- that's yeah, indisputably right. Um, yeah, like you said, you can't you can't judge him like a normal person, yeah. right? And also, we don't know him personally, yeah. <laughs> right? It's Like so that's that, that that's wild. Um, oh, there was something else you said, but oh yeah, I was going to say all these topics are so complex, um. Because if you wanted to dig deeper into like electric vehicles and stuff like that and like battery p- power and technology, then it's like, okay, well, where do you get the materials? to create batteries right and it's like well you get those from the ground so then it's like there's a whole other conversation to be had about like okay well how are we getting like these like minerals and these ores from the earth and like Mm. and it's cool though there are companies in bc that are focusing on stuff like exactly that type of stuff so i find that really exciting about bc
1: yeah i actually just got to uh speak with well, i didn't speak with he was speaking um david eby who's running for premier of Mm. the ndp Mm -hmm. and he was talking about how we need to grow our mining industry and be proud of it and it was like I didn't see that coming from him. I didn't see that coming from... Usually, resource extraction is a very conservative position. So hearing that from him was very surprising. And he was talking about how we're going to do it ethically, uh, equitably, try and be fair about it. And this whole conversation, it's like we don't want issues to be too complicated. And to your point, it's like we have bc's in a unique position because we run off of bc hydro so our cars would be charged by hydro where in the states one of their challenges is you get electric car and then your car charges at home but that's charged by fossil fuels to charge your home and so we're in a unique position in that regard but this battery problem is something that it's like we almost don't want to have a conversation yet because we don't have a solution to what do we do when these batteries burn out what do we do with the leftover minerals where do we throw them away what are we going to do with them and it's like, we're really good at, like, finding the next solution. But it was the same um, when I spoke to the ocean pollution expert. He's like, people love their blue bins. They love them. <laughs> Canada invention feels good when you put it in the blue bin. Recycling's not as effective as anybody wants it to be. It's nowhere near the success that it, we needed it to be. It's not a long-term solution to the problem. And it was like, oh... We don't want to hear that. Like, I like my blue bin. It makes me feel good.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, The David Eby point is very interesting. I need to look that up. Um, Mm -hmm. I should also tell him, again, this is another thing where, again, tech and innovation in BC is so special to me. Um, Because you've got, yeah, batteries have to come from, the materials for batteries need to come somewhere. They come from the ground. And really interestingly, there are companies locally, like there's, um, uh, there's local companies, one called Ideon Technologies. They have created this device, which basically lets you, like, x-ray the ground. And the way they do that is by using this technology called muon tomography, which, again, I don't even know how it works, but, like, uses the stars to x-ray the ground.
1: I know a lady involved in that startup.
0: Oh, okay, there you go, right? That's so crazy. (laughs) And so it's – that's so incredible. But then the other thing – point you made was that the way batteries are used nowadays is basically electric batteries get used to, like, their 80% – working and then they get like thrown out. Like that's like how like the standard practice is. And there's another local company called Moment Energy, which basically said like, that's ridiculous. And the way James on my team wrote about it in an article was like, it's like taking two sips out of a beer and then throwing it away. Right. That's what we do with our batteries right now. And so there's a local company called Moment Energy. Uh, which is figuring out how to repurpose them. And again, it's like it's another local company. And it's like if they're successful, it's not just impact on Vancouver and BC and Canada, but that's like a that's a global solution.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. So um, sorry, like wrapping a whole bunch of different talking th- like points together, but like complex. But then it's, it's really neat to see um, the solutions to some of these complex problems that are here, like homegrown.
1: Yeah, I had uh, Sammy Cannon, who's a chemical engineer at SFU, Mm. and he was talking about the process of trying to find solutions to cleaning solar panels because it's an underestimated problem. But if you have caked on dust or plants or anything get on top of it where well, your solar panels are not going to operate as efficiently but sending someone up to the top to clean that every three months, two months, however however fast it gets dirty mm-hmm. you know, that's a very difficult problem to solve where you need something that to be easy where it's clean and it's taking in the full rays of the sun and it's like it's interesting to hear those problems and I think there's that uh, it's Squamish or Whistler based company trying to extract CO2 from the environment and yep. Carbon engineering. Yeah, it's just a fascinating area of kind of advancement. And personally, I think it's fascinating because we haven't figured out how to do it better than trees. And it's so weird to think about that. Like, we think we're so intelligent. And then you think about how the fact that a tree will disintegrate into nothing. It will take in all those solar rays, disintegrate into nothing and not exist anymore. And like... We can't do that. Our solar panels, it's like, what do we do with this giant piece of metal afterwards? It's like, it's very weird when you think about like our limitations as people.
0: It is weird and it's not weird in the sense that, yeah, nature figured this all out before we came here.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yeah. But we can't like replicate it. Like why can't, other than growing a tree, it's like we can't replicate what it did, yet we can go, this is how a tree works. Mm -hmm. That's a really
0: good point. Yeah. We know exactly how it works and yet can't do it like the same. Yeah. Um, yet
1: absolutely so do you think that there is like a, a community growing do you think that there's challenges facing this community in terms of technology in bc do you think that there are ways we could do a better job of supporting it opening the doors saying pcs ready and our tech space it's like we're just we don't have that same silicon valley kind of vibe here or or maybe we do and we don't know about it but it just It doesn't seem as well known. Is there a way we can kind of unlock the potential here and max it out? Is that sounds like that's what you're working on by encouraging local entrepreneurs in different communities? But but what do we need to do to kind of grow this space?
0: Yeah, it's it's again, it's such an interesting question, and like this whole conversation that could be just around like the tech community and how to grow it and what it's going through right now. I mean, when I think about the Vancouver Tech Trail and like potential future tech journals, like my goal is really to uh, increase like the audience for like tech and innovation stories, right? So I want more people to be aware of like the potential of the sector and like, yeah, what is their role in it? How does it impact them? That's what I want to see, not just in Vancouver, but across the country. Um, And in Vancouver, it's interesting, most tech ecosystems around the world, when they compare themselves to like, where are the best tech communities? Of course, Silicon Valley, because it's like the OG that always comes up. Uh, a good friend of mine, Chris Newman, he, he works at a, a VC firm called Panache Ventures. He always says, actually, the better comparison for a place like BC and Vancouver is... Um, austin texas because similar amount of people right post-secondary institutions that sort of thing right and so he says first of all we need to like get rid of our obsession with silicon valley let's compare ourselves to like a city of the same size or a community of the same size which i always i like i like that idea that's like oh okay like what are we actually similar to um compare ourselves to that community um but vancouver and bc like let's think about like what tech ecosystems need right so no shortage of ideas Um, No shortage of entrepreneurs starting companies. Um, What there is a shortage of is people. So every company, despite the fact that there were layoffs, and I could get into the layoffs conversation, um, every company is still basically hiring, even the ones that laid people off. And then you also have large companies like Microsoft and Amazon that have like 5,000 job openings. Well, Amazon does, right? And then Microsoft has thousands, right? So it's like there's not enough people, right? Right. And then the other thing is related to people, which is uh, executive talent or specialized talent. So, people that have grown a company from a million revenue to 20 million in revenue, then from 20 million in revenue to 100 million in revenue. And you only get that when you have a mature sector, right? So, in in many ways, the Vancouver and BC tech ecosystem is not even old enough to have people. That have worked at companies for 30 years right like it's not old enough like there aren't that many people here so people need to move here to work at those companies or we need to hire people from other places to work with our companies and the interesting thing is that COVID forced a lot of companies to do that so there's a local company here called boast they uh have software to help companies get r d tax credits from the government so i'm a company and i've i've i've, re- I've researched something and i've spent twenty thousand dollars and i've hired this engineer and the federal government will say, "Okay, great. We're going to give you seventy-five percent of that person's salary back." Boast is a software that'll like basically make it really easy for you to do that, and they take cut of it. Um, but during the pandemic, boast for it to grow, it had to hire four executives from like San Francisco, from Chicago, from Boston, and they are people that have said, "Like, oh, okay, you're doing ten million. I've run a company that's doing a hundred million dollars in revenue. We're going to help you." grow to that size. And that's, like, extremely, extremely valuable. And there aren't enough people in BC that have done that, that have grown large companies. It's changing, um, but there's still not enough. And so that's, like, an area that, like, I I don't know. I, I don't know how you do it. Luckily, again, people are hiring remote now. That's, like, more norm. Like, people are hiring people in other cities. So, like, that's a big thing that's changing. And the other thing that's changing locally is that there are just more big companies. And, like, so... The other thing that I I didn't mention, which is that um, in order for an ecosystem to succeed, you need capital, in many cases, access to capital. And so when I moved here, even just seven years ago, so I moved here in 2015 from Ottawa, um, the conversation was always around, there's not enough in in venture capital where companies can't raise money to invest and grow and hire people. That was a big conversation. It was such a big conversation that Christy Clark, when she was mayor, mayor, (laughs) Premier <laughs> could never see her being a mayor. Uh, when she was premier, um, she created this thing called the BC Tech Fund, which was a hundred million dollars meant to invest into tech companies. Right. So they had access to capital and they would stay here and scale their companies. Good policy decision. So it's funny. Someone asked me this recently, and I said, "How much have you heard about the outcomes from that fund recently?"
1: Yeah.
0: and And they said nothing. And I said, "That tells you probably." what the outcomes were the fact that we have not heard about it since right right? because if i worked in government communications if there was some good news to share i was sharing it (laughs) so we we haven't heard anything about that recently so that might tell you a little bit about um the outcomes
1: can you tell us a little bit about venture capital mixed in with that and how that plays a role
0: oh sure yeah absolutely um hold on let me get let me get my points organized um uh Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I I got my, I got my points. Okay. So I want to finish the point about capital. So when I first moved here, um, yeah, venture capital was like, Oh, there's not enough venture capital, right? It's like, Oh, okay. So that's why we had the hundred million dollar BC tech fund, but now that that is not part of the conversation. Uh, and so what's changed is that BC companies have been able to attract significant investment from investors, not necessarily from here, but from around the world and other places. Right. So, um, I'm sure you've heard that last year there were, I think there were maybe 13 unicorns, which is a company that's valued at over a billion dollars, right? So
1: I have not heard that, but
0: okay. Yeah, so in the tech world, a private company valued at over a billion dollars is called a unicorn. And so examples of unicorns are a company called Clio. It's a legal tech company. Uh, They're valued at over $2 billion, and they do over $100 million in annual revenue, an amazing company led by Jack Newton. Um there's a company nexi they're like construction technology. they've got a manufacturing facility in squamish uh one of their executive their executive vice president is Gregor Robertson, former mayor. A lot of people know him yes um really interesting guy obviously again they're they're valued at over two billion dollars and they're they get these valuations from investors that give them money. they say i'm going to give you 45 million dollars, which values you at X amount of money, right? Uh, that's an example. Um, Semios, I mentioned earlier, Michael Gilbert, they're the agritech company that like pulls together all this data and sensors for a farmer's dashboard. Uh, they're another company that's worth over a billion dollars, and based off of money that they've raised and companies they've acquired. Um, what's another company on, on that list? Oh, Dapper Labs. Um, it's perhaps well known or most well known for um, NBA top shot, uh, which are NFTs of like NBA highlight clips. I'm not sure if you've heard of them. Um, they're worth like like nine billion dollars. like it's it's a bit outrageous, but like they've raised hundreds of millions of venture capital dollars, which again which and so these firms value them at this amount of money. Um, so uh, sorry. to to close the loop on that. When I moved here, the complaint was there's not enough money for companies. That is not a complaint anymore. All the good companies have lots of money. Investors are pouring money into all these companies. That's not a problem. All right, venture capital. So the way VC works is that um, so I'm a startup and I uh, am growing fast. But in order to grow faster, to hire salespeople or to hire engineers, I need... um, more money than i'm i'm bringing in necessarily right and so vc says okay like you're going at this pace we're going to give you um 25 million dollars and we're going to value you at 100 million dollars post money which means that like after we've put this 25 million dollars into your company you're valued at 100 million dollars and i use that example because it's simple math and we own 25 percent of your company now Right? cuz you're valued at 100 million dollars and we've given you 25 million dollars right and the expectation is is that you will go in like you know 10 years 10 years from now you're going to be valued at like 10 times that amount of money so we're going to get 10 times our investment back right so that's that's all it is, right um, and VCs they don't invest their own money they have a bunch of other rich people called LPs limited partners they've given them their money and then they go invest it in in, in startups right and so there was a long period, like when I first moved here, where it was like there's not enough capital for companies. Like investors are not investing enough in companies. But um, I don't hear that anymore. Like last year, Canadian companies, in particular, I think they raised 14.2 billion dollars. Um, that that had, like amount has gone down this year as like the markets have cooled. But like no one is having any trouble raising money if you're a good company, essentially. Um.
1: What is the relationship between a VC and because my understanding is that oftentimes venture capital firms get involved in the nitty gritty? They kind of go, we've, we've put $25 million in you. We expect to have some level of involvement. Is there cases where they're very involved? Is there, I've heard. Horrible things about VC markets. Um, one person I've enjoyed listening to is Chamath, Chamath Pallahapatiya. Um, <laughs> and I find him really fascinating because he talks about how it's, it's an old boys club. There's these issues with it. There's these challenges with it. Um, the people holding the money are very picky on who they choose. They don't want big risks. His whole idea, I forget what he calls his new kind of idea where he's going to bring capital together and try and fix long problems problems we won't fix over the next two years three years five mm. years ten years the problems of like he, he made a comment like over the you don't think somebody who finds a solution to like climate change is a billion dollar like a trillion dollar company it's like absolutely but we don't have the kind of patience to wait that out we, mm. we're looking for returns five years 10 yes years. five ten yep. so we we limit ourselves to thinking and going if somebody was able to fix this problem though it would be so beneficial for the next 100 years and so that's from my understanding his mindset i'm just interested in your thoughts on venture capital maybe shamath's comments
0: well so again it, it depends on who you talk to and the the unfortunate thing and this is really an area where the sector can be improved is that there are entrepreneurs that have had relationships with venture capitalists that have not been positive however it's such a small world that many entrepreneurs you talk to are not going to come out and publicly say, like, this fund or these VCs are terrible people. Because if you did that, then all the other VCs are going to say, like, oh, am I going to work with this entrepreneur? He's going to call us out if we do something he doesn't like. And um, so I've had conversations with local startup founders that have had like negative experiences with investors that have invested in them, but then maybe have disrespected the leaders of the company and have tried to exert, yeah, like, you know, influence that like was not warranted. And, and, you know, these entrepreneurs have had bad experiences, but as an entrepreneur, it's, you're in a very tough position where it's like, you probably can't go to talk about this because um, then you are now a red flag for other potential investors and you don't want to reduce your chances of getting, Future investment capital, and actually, the best example of this is the fact that like you probably can't like read about this anywhere, which tells you that like it's all hush hush, right? Like, um,
1: like top ten best VCs in Canada or North America, like you can't write that story.
0: Well, no, no, you can't. Um, you're not gonna, you're not gonna. There is a uh, an eerily lack of articles about entrepreneurs having bad experiences with VCs. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You're not gonna read that anywhere because no one will go on the record and say this is a terrible VC, for example, right? Um, But the other thing on, on, on investment dollars and private capital that really needs to be discussed actually is the fact that similar to, like, you know, engineers and organization in Canada and the U.S., like, you know, 3% of all VC money goes to, like, female entrepreneurs. You know, 1% of all VC money goes to, like, founders of color, right? Like, that's, like, those are, like, bigger issues. It's basically the same in every ecosystem, right? And fortunately, um, you're seeing that change because uh, there are different funds popping up that specifically are for these different um, underrepresented communities. So in Canada, a really cool in my opinion, cool group of investors is called backbone angels. And it's made up of, uh, interestingly, exclusively former Shopify or some current Shopify female, uh, and BIPOC, uh, executives, right? So, uh, there's a group of, I want to say there's 12 of them. They all worked at Shopify really early on. They're all executives. They all made like millions of dollars. And so they're specifically pooling their money and just investing in basically women and uh, people of color, right? So funds like that are sl- are now slowly changing the sort of ratio of money going to like traditionally marginalized communities versus just like what people think of when they see an entrepreneur, which is mostly just like white guys, yeah. right? So that, that world is slowly changing. And I find that really, really fascinating.
1: Absolutely. I think it's important for people to be able to see – themselves wherever they're from their background represented in the group so that they can go if that person can do it like you don't it's hard to quantify the difference someone like oprah can make in a society like that the change in perception and then it becomes normalized and then we don't Look to her the same way maybe we used to, but like seeing people who take a leadership role within like a BC context, it's often been Stephen Point or Jody Wilson Raybould, who's been like these outlier individuals who kind of, they broke the mold. They did something other people haven't really done in the past. And then a whole generation of young people go like, maybe that could be me. I think we like to downplay that a lot of the time, but I think it plays a huge role of like people rethinking what it means for their future or who they want to go become. Oh,
0: absolutely. And like, I don't actually ever think of myself in like that mix, but people have come up to me and said like, Oh, I love that you are the one that's kind of like the head of this tech journal. That's really cool. um, Cause you're a black guy. Right. Then I was like, like, Oh, okay. Like I don't, It's not like that's not how I identify myself, but um, it's cool that you think that like James wrote an article about a guy named Charles Kishi, um, who's uh, an immigrant from Rwanda. And uh, he came up to me and and was like, dude, like, it's just so cool that like, he's like, you're another brother and you're in charge of this thing and you made all this happen. Like, it's cool to see that. And I thought like, oh, that's cool. Like, I appreciate that comment. And sometimes I forget that. Yeah. Like, you know, what people see and um, like, that's really important. Right.
1: Yeah yeah how they relate to you Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily like i don't go around and think i'm an indigenous this is my indigenous perspective and i don't always love people being like well tell us the indigenous because i'm like i'm just a person like (laughs) i have my perspective but it's not like rooted in some sort of like stereotypical perspective um but it is helpful for other people to go you know what if you can do it maybe i can too and that's that's all you need to kind of get started is to believe that it's not crazy Mm -hmm. yeah so i'm interested to understand and a little bit about your personal background, you just had a birthday, and you talked a little yeah. bit on Twitter, uh, which I consider a public place, about um <laughs> how you arrived to Canada. Can you share a little bit of that story?
0: yeah, for sure um yeah it's i it's pretty cool actually, in my opinion, and like, i i don't always talk about it, but like when you think about it, it's like, yeah, it's kind of crazy, right so uh, so I was adopted from Jamaica, and um yeah, recently on Twitter, I posted the tweet saying like august 9th this is my mom calls uh like our special day so august 9th is when i was adopted from kingston jamaica in 1990 right and so yeah i was born in kingston jamaica and this is the crazy bit which i think i'll like write in a prologue if i ever write a book or something like that which is that um i was like left this is like from a movie i was like left in a basket at the police station in kingston jamaica so like a cop found me like a abandoned like little note right and they were like oh, okay like we have a baby now like what like this is the police station right and so in kingston jamaica actually it's this place called Payne avenue like you can look it up like wow. it's like a very dangerous spot in kingston Kingston's not a safe city anyway um and they named me um uh, lawrence uh, dixon which was after the cop that found me in Kingston, Jamaica, and like if you look at like my like social services paperwork, it's like Lawrence was found at like two oh four on Payne Avenue, uh, which is crazy to think about, right? Anyway, I was adopted by uh, Linda Johnson, my mom, um, and she's like a legend. Um, and how, so, how is she
1: a legend? Wow, just
0: like so she adopted me, but uh, from Kingston, Jamaica, and she adopted my older brother Timothy from Saint Vincent. It's near Barbados, another little island. And then I have a younger brother, Andrew, uh, from Scarborough, and I always tell him he's not that interesting because it's Canada, right? (laughs) But anyway, uh, so three boys, uh, all black, well, Andrew's mixed, Um, and single mom, Um, and she's white, white single mom in a little, like, farming community, adopted three black kids, and... um, and so that's why she's a legend and somehow racist and like we're you know all have like a good head on our shoulders um so yeah yeah so that's what happened uh that's what that tweet was about um so i came here august 9th 1990 raised in winchester ontario um and i i always feel really fortunate like i just had like a great life like uh yeah raised by my mom linda and uh babysat lots by her best friend Jan. And my grandmother, Eva Dorothy. Um, and so I, I had like a great childhood. Like, it was a really small community, like 5,000 people. Like I played hockey. I was, you know, I volunteered. Like my mom was a nurse for 40 years and she eventually ran the oncology unit in the hospital in that, that area. And so um, I think I benefited from the fact that she was like quite well-known. Like everyone in the community knew her. And we were like the only colored people in the, the town, me and my brother. So like in many ways that probably helped me because I could not get into any trouble cuz everyone knew me like yeah. we were automatically the most we were more popular than like the mayor because you you could not not know the johnson boys right. cuz there were three of us and we were the only not white people yeah. so that uh, i always think that like that kept me out of trouble yeah. couldn't get into trouble cuz it was too obvious who I was. Yeah, <laughs> um, Yeah. Like, I had a great upbringing. Yeah, played hockey, sports, everything. Went to university in Ottawa. I went to Carleton University. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, just, like, I had a great upbringing where, actually, it's funny. This goes back to what, like, we just were talking about, like, being a black person, being an indigenous person. like, that was, like, never my identity Um and I actually even recently I wrote this like personal essay for the global mail figures back where I was like, like, no one ever like treated me differently or anything like that. And so that never actually became part of like something I actually identified like really strongly with right. for better or for worse. I don't know. Like maybe like it would have been better if I was like identified more with that part of like my heritage. But it just wasn't something I thought about a lot. Um and growing up, like, I could always do anything I wanted, like, my mother never said, like, you're going to be treated differently because you're black, like, never heard of any of that. And so I didn't pay much attention to it. And because people always ask, like, oh, like, is anything like, you ever, have you ever experienced racism or anything like that? I always say, like, maybe I have, but since I am so, like, since I don't think about it, like, it maybe, like, no red flag went off or anything like Maybe I was on the bus and someone didn't sit next to me. And then it's like, well, I I don't really think about that. Like I started listening to my podcast. So I just don't notice that type of stuff as much as maybe some other people have. Like um, if you were in a different city or in a different setting, or you grew up with a different upbringing where you were told different things about the world. Um, So I find that stuff really interesting to think about.
1: I agree. I feel the same way where I don't, I can't remember a time where being indigenous ever acted as a barrier. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, more recently it seems like it's been it's they my community helped pay for my education they opened doors um it's led to better opportunities but i'm always just like thinking that it's based on my color or race seems like it's like a very very last resort like if mm-hmm. i were to go there i would want to think maybe i was being a jerk maybe i was misreading it maybe, like i'm gonna go to those spots before i resort to that kind of level of analysis because it it seems like a dangerous kind of level of analysis to start with if you're just going to be like maybe they did it because they hate me and they think that my skin color and that i'm like a a dirty native or something terrible it's like that doesn't seem like a fair place to start with people um if you're having that kind of conversation
0: yeah i agree i just that that would that would be absolutely be the last thing i would think if like i didn't get some opportunity or something like that right and like yeah like so i grew up in a little town i played hockey and was pretty good for the little town, you know what I mean. I went to university, always had great opportunities, had a blast in university, got good jobs, had good friends, networked, they did all this, all this stuff. I graduated, um, and worked a few jobs. Then I got, then I ended up actually going back to Carlton to work for five years. And I like throughout all that, it's like, I don't know, I, I worked hard, and then I got to do things I wanted to do, like, yeah. and. This is also why I would say, like, oh, anyone can do stuff, because I just feel like I've always just worked hard and then figured stuff out. Um, and, yeah, I'm just trying to think, like, it's just, yeah, I guess being, like, black has not been, like, a huge part of my identity, because, I don't know, that's just not how people have, like, like other people very rarely are like it's funny it's only black people actually yeah. that have come up to me and be like oh you're black like that's great I'm like okay like no one else says that yeah. so you know what I mean
1: how how did learning about like your background when did you learn about that was that a challenge to find out that story or was that like a cool story it seems like it's oh a cool no story it's very to cool
0: to me which again may be strange but the craziest thing was is that like I don't remember finding out like I was adopted or anything like that. Like, but though it was like very obvious growing up, like my mom's super white and um, it was f- actually a couple of funny stories before I like actually found out about the whole like basket thing. Um, I played hockey all my life. Right. And so, well, not all my life, sorry to university. Um, and we'd go to these hockey tournaments and they'd be like in the U S and this is before like you had passports, like you didn't need a passport to cross the border. So all we had was like my like little citizenship card where I was like a baby. And so my mom would be driving me and my brothers across the border. And you have, so you have to remember, we're crossing the border and it's this white woman and three black kids in the back. And they'd be like, what's going on here? And she'd be like, oh, we're just going to a hockey tournament. And they'd be like, huh. And they'd like they'd search everything because they didn't believe us probably. They'd, they'd just think this is super weird. Um, uh, and then like, yeah, we'd have hockey bags and stuff. And then like there'd be like people on our team in the vehicle before us and after us, right, at least. So then they could be like, okay, like, you're part of this hockey team that's going to this tournament in Akwesasne or something like that, right? And um, um, so I always thought that was hilarious, right? Getting stopped. And then it was always fine, obviously, right? And so there'd always be a lot of stuff like that where people would be like, or we'd go somewhere and people would be like, I was obviously her son. And people would be like, like, what is the relationship? She goes, it's my son. And they'd be like, but, like, the world has moved a lot now, right? Like, it's, it's not, like, crazy for, like, uh, different races to be in the same family. Yeah. But, like, I guess, like, so I'm 34, right? So I guess 32 years ago. Actually, yeah, things have changed a lot. Like, yeah. 32 years ago was, like, very strange, I think, for a lot of people that had a hard time with that. Yeah. Right? But not now. Um, but uh, actually, when I actually found out about the, like, basket story and the, like, finding me, like, on the street was crazy because it was in, um first year of university like i didn't know that detailed story until i was doing this project and i was like mom just like scan all my documents and just like send them to me and she didn't even think of this she just like scanned a bunch of documents and was like here like write your essay whatever you're going on and then i like read through all the documents and was like whoa like I didn't know this was the story, <laughs> right? And she's like, oh, like, sorry, I didn't, just didn't think of it,
1: Yeah,
0: right? And so, like, yeah, it's, like, all written. Like, a social worker had, like, typed out what happened. Yeah. And so I, like, came across the document, doing some research in my first year of university. So that was fall of 2006.
1: Right. Yeah. So how did your mother find out about you? Like, how did she, how did the Jamaica, Canada connection um
0: uh well she was like like it's very strange this is such a strange story but it, it also is interesting so i always bug her like her and a bunch of other white women i don't know that have this weird thing adopted a bunch of caribbean kids yeah. um and like and i actually it's a good story and a, and a sad story in that um not all of the kids are doing uh as well i guess as i'm doing but i always say that's like a testament to how that's why I call my mom a legend yeah. in that like out of the cohort, it's actually a very good sociological or sociological case study in that like, like 10 kids were adopted from different Caribbean islands around the same time. Um, and then by white mothers and we're all doing like pretty differently actually. So I was and like, somebody needs to study this. Absolutely. Uh, you know, anyway, anyway, um, uh, She dealt with, like, a social worker and someone who, like, helps, like, like people, like, adopt children. And uh, the really cool thing was that there's a woman named Dawn from Jamaica that was, like, the one that helped my mom get me. And my mom and I went back to Jamaica in, I want to say 2014. And the last time Dawn had seen me was when I was a baby. So... Um uh I mean I don't I didn't remember her, but she remembered me, right? So it was crazier for her than me. Yeah. I was just like, Oh hey, I was like, I'm an adult now, like I'm doing well, which is great. Thanks for your help. (laughs) But for her it was more exciting that's incredible
1: so let's do the sociological question Mm -hmm. what if you had to attribute what your mother did for you what would be the things you think stand out to you as like the this is what helped this is what made me feel supported this is maybe what other people missed out on Mm -hmm. that my my mother had
0: well let's first say like i it's hard to comment on other people but i can absolutely comment on like my experience right which is Um, There's a very famous study, I forget who did it, but it's where, like, you've got these two sets of students and the teachers are told, like, these are the high performers and these are the low performers. And teachers are told that it's false. Uh, It's actually the reverse. Uh, But what ends up happening is by the end of the term the ones that the teachers were told are like the high performers were the high performers. And the ones that the teachers were told were the low performers ended up being low performers. And what really dictated how they fared was how the teachers treated them. And so I think that um, my mother always just like treated me like I could do anything that I was going to do well and I was going to be successful. And I've always had like that positive uh, like attitude and energy. And it's so funny because – she would say like, "Will, you're really like, you're too confident, or you're overly confident." And I'd be like, "Well, where did you think I got that from, <laughs> right? Like, literally, wasn't a father, right? So it could only have been you, <laughs> right? So I think that is um just been pretty critical. Like, I just I I grew up thinking like I can do the things I want to do, and like um, Jan and my grandma uh, also legends like." They just, I don't know, like, I just was always supported growing up. Yeah. And um, I don't, I'm the middle child. And um, I feel like middle childs are supposed to feel, like, neglected or something like that. We're like yeah. supposed to have an issue, but I definitely didn't.
1: <laughs> How much do you think that impacts? Because you're almost in the line of work of encouraging other people. That's basically what you do, zoom out on whether it's tech or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But you're really taking people who have potential, talking to them. And sharing their story and saying, look at the potential of this person. Which mm-hmm. is, sounds like the, very much the experience you had. Which is like, you have so much potential, just go out and figure out where you want to take this.
0: I never thought of it that way, but you're, you're, you're totally right in a sense, right? And that's why I think, you asked me earlier if I was optimistic. I would say I am, just because I've seen a lot and also been through a lot. And I just think like, well, why, why couldn't you do this thing? Like, that's just my attitude to everything. Like, mm-hmm. well, well why couldn't this work out um why couldn't you experiment with this and, and and succeed um that's how that's how i've always like viewed myself like oh well why couldn't i try this thing and so that's how i see everyone else like even when people pitch me ideas and i'm like is this really a thing but it's like oh well, what it could be why not why couldn't this be a successful product or app idea or or a business so i definitely see it that way and um through my different jobs, right? Like I, at the beginning, I talked to a lot about bringing people together and bringing communities together, right? So I, I studied at Carlton. While I was a student, I worked at Carlton. I left, I worked a couple other jobs. I ended up back at Carlton um, working on some communications related stuff, but then also some student development related stuff, yeah. which was awesome. And so a lot of that work was like conversations with like, students and emerging leaders and like what do you want to do with your life and like i'm very used to being in conversations with people where i'm saying like yeah like of course you can do this why wouldn't you do that like what are the tools you need like let me help you let me connect you to the tools or the resources the people that you need uh, for support so you can succeed and achieve more and so that's been part of like my work in one way or another for um when i graduate I graduated university in twenty ten, but I was doing this type of stuff before then. So yeah, it's wild to think back now. Eh? It's been over a decade. Yeah,
1: yeah. There was somebody on your LinkedIn who made a comment about how you have a knack for seeing people, understanding sort of their mindset behind. <laughs> I them. can't
0: believe that comment is still there, eh? Yeah. Wow, <laughs> that's funny. So I went to high school with that girl, um, and you're right, eh? That's I think that's over a decade ago. That comment. Yeah. but I think really that just speaks to like. Yeah, like, curiosity and, like, what makes people tick and how can I help be part of that journey? And, like, I've always had that, I feel like.
1: Yeah, putting on my interview hat of, like, asking what makes – how you approach your interviews. I'm just interested in, like, because there would be a huge difference between you interviewing someone and someone who maybe had an idea and failed miserably. Like, that's the – the antithesis I think of you is somebody who's bitter about their place in life and and demotivated and then they go meet with the entrepreneur and they go, why do you think you could do this? But they're coming in to meet with an entrepreneur who's maybe not 100% sure of themselves – that person can discourage them and make them feel like they could never go do those things and act as a barrier, even though they're just a journalist, they're just asking questions. The mindset that you bring seems that of someone who would encourage and and at least help the person see things clearer. So I'm just interested, how do you approach those interviews? What is your kind of, how do you choose a person? How do you develop those questions? What is that interaction like for you? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting to think about. So I'm very much someone who, I I ask why a lot. At the same time, I'm very much a person that says, well, have you also thought of this? Like, here is another approach that maybe you haven't taken. And then the other way I would say is, um, I'm actually not into improv, but I know this thing in improv where people say yes, and, like, you sort of, like, take what they've given you and then you, like, continue it on. So, someone will say, like, oh, and then we were thinking of doing this. And then I'm like, oh, okay. and and then then are you going to do this with this? Is this like where you're taking it? So I'm very much just open to ideas in that sense. Um, whenever I'm thinking about like who I'm going to talk to, and actually it's, it's good that you asked that because I actually interview far fewer people than I used to because I've got like the team now um, and I'm working on more like partnerships related stuff with the business. But um, yeah, again, for me, it's like always like the story and thinking like, Yeah, like it's like it's the same answer as before, which is I'm always like, oh, who's this person? Like, is there an interesting story that I can get? Like, what's like the nugget of insight that this person will have uniquely that we can like tell the rest of the world and share?
1: Yeah, if you've listened to the documentaries, you've heard from the people um, that you admire, who's your white whale? Who is the person we can call them, get them on the phone, and you can go meet with them in person? Who is that person you'd love to have that interview with? Uh, alive or dead, who is the person you would like to ask some questions? Is to? this like
0: like tech people, like, like Elon? You, or, oh, no, no. Uh,
1: because your mindset is not limited to the tech space. I don't want to reduce you to that yeah. because you basically said that journey fascinates you. So who is your white whale?
0: Um. So another issue I have is that it's like, oh, how do I just choose one? Um, but I'll give you – how about i give you two? Sure. Um, one of these people is uh, Walter Isaacson. So, Walter Isaacson is many things. Um, but I was introduced to him because he wrote uh, a bio of Steve Jobs. He wrote a bio of Benjamin Franklin. Um, he wrote a bio of uh, Einstein. Uh, so, people like that. But he also was the CEO of CNN at one point. He also was the editor of Time Magazine at one point. Mm -hmm. So he is... Oh, and he was also the president of the Aspen Institute for Ideas. So this is a, a writer, but also an organizational leader. And so that's sort of what I've always cheated myself in. Like, I've managed people and led teams, but I've also been a writer. So I've always thought, well, that's, like, really interesting. Like, creatives who are also, like, operators. Like, that's an interesting individual, and I've always wanted to be more effective in that. And then another person... Actually, two more people. Quick, I'll do two. Do quick. it. <laughs> uh, another person is um, Tom Ford. He is a fashion designer, and I'm not like into fashion necessarily, but I'm into everything. And this, and and he's interesting in that he like saved Gucci. That's one thing. But the other thing is that he also uh, directs films, right? So I just like anyone who.
1: Sorry, how did he save
0: Gucci? Um, when Gucci was like losing mind. Have you have you watched the movie House of Gucci? um no who's in it um lady gaka uh is in it and uh who's adam driver oh. or diver um very good movie anyway gucci was like going under and then he came and like redesigned everything and saved like the brand it's very it's more in depth than that but yeah. like you should check it out anyway um and he was like a young like up-and-coming designer that they come came to like they came to save the brand. Yeah. Um, but he's also like a film director and does like multiple other things. Yeah. And again, I just like people who are like, well, I'm not just a designer. I also do this other stuff. And another example of that, which is why I would choose this person over like, well, hold on a second. The caveat is like Barack Obama is number one. Yeah. But forget him. That's obvious. <laughs> um, the last one is Eric Good. Why is Eric Good interesting? Just look him up. Um He is the guy who created and directed the Tiger King series um, that everyone watched like during early pandemic. Right. Right. Uh, But he also uh, owns like an art gallery. He co-owns the Waverly Inn, which is a nice restaurant in West Village. Um, Yeah. Drex Films. So he's just another individual that um, has multiple creative endeavors and somehow manages to pull them all off. And I love that idea.
1: Yeah. Those are really good choices and Mm -hmm. just offers an insight into who you see as interesting. Um, Is there any specific questions you'd have for any of them that stand out to you that you're like, if I could get this question answered?
0: Yeah. Like this is where it's like, this is less interesting. I'd have very practical questions. Like how do you structure your day? Right. Right? Because I want to know at what point in the day should I be like expending my like creative energy and then like, what are the things that whenever you're, like, totally gassed, what should I be doing then? Like, is that when I should be doing, like, email, right? Like, or, like, w- at what point in the day should I, like, split these things up? Like, Walter Isaacson famously, he'll, like, start writing writing at, like, 9 p.m. And he'll write to like, 2 a.m. Right. And I'm, like, that's crazy. Like, I go to bed at, like, 9.30. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, it's, like, so it's like I want to learn, like, very practical things about, like, how do you get the most out of yourself every day, especially when you're juggling all these different things.
1: Yeah. That is very insightful. And I think those tools, when we can hear from really successful people like Kevin Hart, I think has an insane schedule in terms of like doing movies. I think Dwayne The Rock Johnson does something similar where it's like movie, developing comedy, writing, doing an audio book, like just so much on the go every day that it's like, how do you you manage that? How do you keep the passion, the excitement, the energy going through such a long period of time without kind of going... I don't really care about this. I just want to go home and take a nap. Like, how do you keep that fuel? And I think that those people remind us that, like, we like, and I'm sure you deal with this, people being like, I'm busy. And it's like, are you that busy, though? Like, there are people with real schedules cranking out, like, 7 a.m. to... 10 p.m. days and then there's people doing nine to fives and not working that hard on twitter or instagram scrolling all day long and saying like well i'm busy i don't have the time and it's like you do you just you have to rework how you're approaching things and figuring out how people keep that fuel i think is just so fascinating Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and like to that point right like really what you spend your time doing is the biggest indication of like what you find important right so like are you scheduling that time in uh, or you not, or are you not? There's a guy from Ottawa named Shane Parrish, and um, I think I've quoted him on like a blog somewhere where he basically just says, "Don't tell me your goals. Uh, show me your schedule, right? Because that that will show it, right."
1: That is a really good line. That is, like, that should be up on signs. Like, that's because um, that's the one thing I hear around, like, religious people a lot, which is um, people will say that they're religious. And then uh, the common trope is, like, well, how do you behave the rest of the six days of the week? Mm -hmm. And it's not reflective. Mm -hmm. And then people who say they aren't religious will follow certain, like. I think it's more acted out, which is like, are you grateful for your food? Do you show that you're grateful for your food? Are you appreciative of that? That to me is like, it's not religious to like one religious organization, but it's religious in the sense you do it religiously, which is the, the core term of that. And so being grateful, showing gratitude, being polite, these are all acts of like having a belief that, treating people well is a good investment in in how you operate. And so that is more the mindset that I think you should bring, which is how do people act rather than what do they say they believe? Mm -hmm. Because there's often a huge disconnect between what you say you believe in and how you actually behave. 100%.
0: Yeah.
1: Can you tell people how they can connect with the Vancouver Tech Journal and yourself?
0: Yeah. So the Vancouver Tech Journal, simple, www.vantechjournal.com. And I think The best place to follow us is probably on Twitter. So at Van Tech Journal or search us on LinkedIn, Vancouver Tech Journal. Those are the best places to look or on everything else, but those are the best ones where you're going to get the most value, I think. Uh, For me, uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at Notion Port. I, that's funny you didn't ask me what that means notion port is very simply like think of an airport or a port where goods and services come in yeah but think of it as a place where like ideas come and go or ideas and stories like that. come and go so that's where notion port came from i thought of that like i think a decade ago
1: i was gonna ask if you didn't answer it there oh,
0: okay there you go right so at notion port and so that's twitter linkedin instagram it's that's the same everywhere right. i always use the same handle. And uh, those are probably the best places to find me.
1: Man, this has been such a blast to be able to hear from your perspective those movers and shakers in the space. Uh, Again, I just, I I love humbling myself and hearing about what's going on in the world and it was really inspiring to hear that it's not just technology it's not just the new ios 20 or whatever it is now that fascinates you it's the people behind it because i think that's how i feel about the podcast is being able to hear people's journeys and where they faced that rock and how they overcame that that's what makes people interesting to me it's not oh now you're worth 10 million and like whatever it is it's like how did you get to where you are what was that journey like how can i when i face my rock approach it in a similar way what can i learn from their story um and that's very much how i feel about you but also the people that you've highlighted throughout this conversation and i feel like i have a better understanding of the the technological world in which bc lives in um today so i just i'm so grateful to have been able to talk to you i find you very insightful and it's just been a blast
0: hey thanks for having me on the this show this, this was a ton of fun um Honestly, it feels like five minutes, but then also two days. So, I, I don't know. It was yeah, fast we're, and we're quick. We're
1: at two hours and 45 minutes. No way. Wow.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, th- it was a blast. So, thanks yeah. for having me on the show.
1: To be clear, you thought you couldn't do, what was it, 90 minutes? <laughs> I was minutes like, there's
0: something? no chance I can do more than 90 minutes. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, you know your guests better than we know ourselves, I think.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, wow. <laughs> it's, it's been such a pleasure. Um, go check them out. It's been so interesting. Um, I'm following Vancouver Tech Journal. I've already enjoyed uh, subscribing uh, and learning more about the people who are going on. One of them is is uh the person who invented uh what is it called um club penguin and yeah. that guy that guy's journey lane is, maryfield yes yeah, right. so if you want to learn more about that you got to go subscribe you got to go check out that full story because uh I found him very interesting and uh you guys did a great job of reporting on him so uh go check him out uh follow him on twitter linkedin instagram um and thank you again for taking the trip out
0: thank you